Hello and welcome back to the Rosbreak Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by the Mallorca BJJ and Yoga Festival. This is a five-night training holiday. I don't want to say training camp. It's a training holiday in a five-star luxury hotel on the beautiful island of Mallorca. This is in October. Um, you're going to have a chance to train jiu-jitsu with uh, some of the very finest jiu-jitsu instructors that you're going to find. First, the big man himself, Mauricio Gomez, the white bear. You also have Clark Gracie, a.k.a. Jiu-Jitsu's most photogenic man. Uh, you also have some of the best UK grapplers out there. Fionn Davis, Ross Nichols, myself, and uh, also my guest today, Sam Cook. We're all going to be out there. You can hang out with us and learn, uh, learn Jiu-Jitsu from us. Well, whichever you want, or both. Um, you also have the opportunity to do some yoga. They have a load of yoga instructors out there. I don't know much about yoga instructors, but they seem like pretty good ones. Um, you might even see me trying the stretch, which is comical and is worth admission alone. Uh, you also can do water sports, free diving. They have a free diving instructor there, and paddle boarding all included. Uh, if you're interested, then uh, check them out at MallorcaBZJYogaFest.com. And you can get a cheeky little discount. If you use promo code EARLYAPE50, that will get you 5% off of the festival price and it will also get you a free massage. Um, I was going to say that massage is not supplied by me, but you never know. So use code word EARLYAPE50 and get a free massage with potentially me. <laughs> Check it out at uh, com. Today's guest is Samantha Cook. Uh, Sam is one of the very best grapplers that the UK has ever produced. Um, both Gi and No Gi, she has uh, accomplished many, many things, especially over the last couple of years since she got her black belt. A really, really great grappler. Also a great um, ambassador for women's jiu-jitsu. She runs her womanars, her women seminars. So clever. Um, and uh, yeah, just a good, a good, a good, a good person. Good person. And I've known Sam for a very long time. Been trying to convince her to come on this podcast for literally years. And she's pretty much just refused every time. But finally, we managed to break through. I convinced her or someone else convinced her on my behalf. And I had a chance to sit down and chat to her. So uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I hope you guys enjoy listening. Check it out. <laughs> I didn't move the mic on it. <laughs> I feel like I need to boo. I I'm not sure. Should I try and go? Can I try and go first? <laughs> Should no, I go seriously. for a poo? Yeah, I'll be quick. Okay. It just doesn't take I'm recording it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just going to go for a poo. Okay, yeah. <laughs> be back in 10 minutes. <laughs> I think I might keep this in. <laughs> Genuinely. <laughs> so, 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 Sam Cook, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Um, you looking forward to this? No. You're so nervous. <laughs> I'm really not. I've been well, avoiding it for so long. Well, do you know what my first question was going to be? No. Why has it taken us so long for you to come on the podcast? <laughs> Why have you been avoiding me for so long? Um, I probably asked you two years ago, maybe. Oh, yeah, I think it was maybe longer. Uh, just a bit nervous about oversharing information and uh, <laughs> giving all my secrets away, <laughs> telling stories about myself that people don't really need to know. Let me see if, how if I can draw that out of you. Okay, you'll see. <laughs> uh, how have you been? Anyway, I haven't seen you in about a year. Yeah, no, it's been a long time. <laughs> um, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Travelling, competing quite a lot. Yeah, I can't really keep up with everything that you do, mainly because they're gi competitions and I don't really follow that world too much. But um, you've been doing pretty well. It's been good, yeah. Uh, it was a good start to this year. I mean, I had a really busy year how, Do you know how many year. times you compete a year? No, not really. It's usually about once a month. 
Really? Yeah, and it's been some crazy trips, like one week in Tokyo, one week in Rio. So one of the things that you do that I really don't follow at all, <laughs> because it's, at least with the IBJJF stuff, there's gi and no gi ones. So mm. I kind of get what's going on for the most part with the IBJJF. But you do the UAE stuff. Yeah. And they, don't only, they pretty much only have gi tournaments for the most part. So I don't really follow anything that's going on there. But they they have like a crazy system, don't they? just like they have a league and then you need to qualify to go to the world and then you can win loads of money and stuff yeah so they run the grand slams which are great and last year so i don't um i've done the london grand slam and then um then they started introducing more like tokyo uh rio grand slam so i was like do you know what coming probably towards the end of my competition years i are you well i think (laughs) I think I tell you this every year that I'm going to stop competing, but yeah, I feel like it. Really? Um, How old are you now? Um, I'm 31. Well, are you 31? I'll be 32 this year. You're masters. Yeah, exactly. You still compete adult though? Yeah. I've not, I'm, I think I quite like the fact that people think I'm like 25. <laughs> so I'd if have I you, I knew that you were at least 29, 30. I don't know. Mm. I knew that you were at least around about 30. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'd have you pegged for mid, mid 20s. Yeah. Maybe younger. And so I feel like great if skin, I... Great skin, great <laughs> skin. If I go I'm and com- <laughs> compete in no Masters... I've loads of wrinkles. <laughs> Not really. Too much laughter. No. no. I notice it more when I lose weight. When okay. my face gets thinner, all my wrinkles okay. come out more. Okay, so yeah. stay, keep bulking. Keep eating. <laughs> 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 Fat for life. Um, yeah, so I quite... I feel like if I fight Masters one time, then people will be like... Oh, people will know. It will just give the game away, you know? Ah, Benjamin Button. I think you might just over. have given the game away. <laughs> Damn. See, this, this is, is exactly what I, mean. what I didn't want to happen. Come on, I'm old. I've got wrinkles. <laughs> um, so you're going around and doing all these tournaments. Okay, wait. Let's let's stick mm. on what you were saying. Actually, yeah. so you think that your competition years are nearing an end? I think so. I think uh, why? Like, la- because last year I had a really busy year and we travelled so many places and it was incredible. Along with like teaching seminars and camps and competitions. And it was amazing, but I'm kind of, my anxiety with flying is actually getting worse rather than you, better. Are you not good with flying? It's not, I'm not a terrible person with flying, but I generally, when I sit on the plane, think I'm probably going to die. And why did I do this? Um, and it's, it's usually a, the smaller flights. Yeah. Well, they, they're on like smaller planes. Short ones. Yeah. I, the big I went, planes. I think, I think my worst ever flight was actually to like from London to Dundee. It was like a really short yeah. one. It's like a 45 minute flight or something, but. I could feel the entire plane shaking the whole way. Yeah. Um, flying's a very weird thing. Humans are not designed to do that. No. Every time I get on a plane, I just go, I'm 100% going to die and I'm okay with it. Yeah. I just get myself okay with it. Yeah. And then every time I land, I'm like, another day we live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a bad flight. I remember, so one flight going over to Amsterdam, and I think this was for my first brown belt competition. And we were in this little tin pot plane that had two seats either side and a door to the cockpit that, I don't know, looked like it was made of paper. Yeah. So it was kind of like, okay, small plane, you know, I'm prepared, I'm ready. And then the pilot came out wearing like some fucking beads around his neck. And I was like, spraying, <laughs> not religious at all. And I thought, oh my God, he's probably, he's, he's, he's Dutch, maybe he's high. I don't know, he looks way too, in a polo top and beads. Um, but that actually wasn't a bad flight. My worst one was last year going to Spain. And I feel terrible. So my mum hasn't basically been on holiday for like seven, eight years on a plane. 
And I was like, man, there's a, like, the Vieira Brothers camp is coming up and I wanted my brother to come because I wanted to grade him. Okay. Um, so he was coming and I was like, mum, why don't you come? Like, it's only a short flight to Spain. Um, we can have, like, a nice holiday. It's all, like, inclusive, very relaxed. Like, loads of families go. And she was like, yeah, why not? Actually, you know, let, let's go. I haven't flown for years. She was never really a comfortable flyer either. And this was probably the worst flight <laughs> I've ever been on. So I think it was with EasyJet. Again, standard size plane, nothing too crazy. Pretty much on the way there, not too bad. Turbulence was okay. We come to landing. We're literally coming down onto the runway and straight back, back up, up again. So I was like, oh, um, I've flown a lot. This is never... Your mum turns around and like, I haven't flown in a me. while. Is this what we do now? Yeah, yeah. So my mum was like, Sammy, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> Oh, uh, nothing. Maybe the runway's busy. I don't know. They didn't say anything over the like the speaker to let us know. So we were like, okay, no, no information. Nobody's really panicking at this point. It's okay. All right, okay. We get kind of back up. So then we, the problem is we hit that kind of turbulent zone for like 20 minutes, then circling round to come back down again. And it's like hell. So I get really bad travel sickness in cars. Okay. I can't, um, if, if I'm the driver or if I'm the passenger, yeah. I'm fine. But in if I'm in the back seat, seat I'm rough. absolutely ruined. So the turbulence also screws me over. So at this point, I couldn't really speak so much. I was just gripping onto my seat thing. And I'm probably, I don't vomit. I just am really nauseous. Sure. Um, and just really want to lie on the floor because my blood pressure takes a dive. So we came back around and they were like, oh, just a little bit of tailwind. We're going to come back down and land again. Oh, great. Fine. Yeah, no. So came all the way down, probably even closer to the runway this time and an even more aggressive pull up again. So at this point, I'm like, I feel like I need to pray. There's like tears running down my eyes. And I'm like, who's hijacked a plane to Spain? Why would anyone ever do this? You know, what's going on here? Uh, And my mum was in like an absolute state. So my brother at this point kind of took the role of being the cool, calm guy, like white as a sheet, kind of staring out the window like, everything's fine. We're going to be okay. Yeah crapping his pants we all were so you know you just think i'm not religious this is a time i feel like i should start praying i don't because they didn't tell us any information they kind of mentioned a bit of tailwind but not enough to be like you know we're literally about to touch ground and come back up again so i'm thinking we're gonna run out of fuel I don't know that much about planes and flights. My mum since has watched quite a lot of programmes in terms of how much reserve fuel that you, fuel that you have. They're like, we're going to fly to Valencia. Valencia? Where's Valencia? Like, we, how far even is this? We don't have enough fuel. We don't, I was like, we, we, we've, we've done three takeoffs now. We're like, how much fuel does this plane have? So then we're, they're like, about 20 minutes to Valencia. Oh my God. I'm literally in that turbulent zone the whole way. So I'm like, why is a sheet hanging on my chair? Like, oh my God, I'm going to be sick. The people next to me are like, just sat there reading their books, but clearly shaking everybody's looking around at each other like what's going on and my poor mum just had a terrible time so we land in Valencia we can't get off the plane because we have no boarding rights so my mum I was like let's get the coach let's get the coach from Valencia to um where do we stay Alicante um and uh she was like we have to you were meant to be flying back yeah so we landed in Valencia to refuel because we were gonna run out of fuel I was like we're gonna land on the sea So we we refueled and we're sat there again, maybe like 20, 30 minutes. Again, not really much information. She would ask like walking up and down, anybody want some water? Water? (laughs) Can I have something a bit stronger? I was just fearing for my life. So we we sit there on the plane waiting. At this point, it's getting quite warm. Obviously, it's really quite warm in Valencia. Yeah. Um, not that I've never been there before. And my mum's really stressed and I felt so bad for her because it was me that was like, come on this come on this flight. You know, I've, I fly once a month to countries all over the world mm. and have no problems. Like a bit of turbulence at worst. And this was pretty horrendous. So... She was like, well, let's get off. Let's hire a car. But we have no boarding rights, so we can't leave the plane. Um, and then they, yeah, obviously the air hostess come around and they start explaining, you know, this really aggressive tailwind. I personally think it was probably a novice pilot um, after then since having watched some airplane 
programs yeah. <laughs> and learning a bit more about it. Anyway, so we, we do take off again and we do manage to land. We're sat quite at the back of the plane. There was quite a lot of tailwind. Uh, but anyway, we landed. We were safe. And then she just worried about flying home for the whole week. Really? Bless her. So we had a really, really nice time. It generally was a really good trip. And obviously being able to give my brother his purple belt was also mm. a, a nice touch to it after being eight years at blue belt eight years <laughs> yeah but he kind of went the mma route so you know he had a bit of a gap and a break and but it's great now because i'm his master so did you did, <laughs> did you ever take it <clears throat> did, he, did he get blue belt before you um i yeah i got my blue before him i can't oh, remember when okay. he got his blue to be honest yeah i can't remember but yeah i overtook him i basically did you start kept... training at the same time or? no i yeah i had a break in my career at blue belt between blue and purple, when I went to university, I pretty much took about nine months off. Okay. And that was because I got smashed by Leonie at my first blue belt competition. Okay. <laughs> so she was the first person to ever beat me. Really? I was like smashing all these small white belt competitions, yeah. you know, like classic Hereford Open and things. Yeah. Never fought anything massive at white belt. And then a week before the Bristol Open, my coach was Aloe Ferreira, who was also kind of a part coach of Leonie or like quite good friends with Leonie at the time, was like... Um, Sam, we're going to grade you to blue belt and you're going to fight Leone because his other white belt girls had been like, we, we think you should grade Sam. Like, mm. you know, she's been killing it. Like, move her up sort of thing. No, <laughs> that's not very fair. Uh, so yeah, a week before he gave me my blue belt and this is when I was also fighting in lightweight, believe it or not. And uh, yeah, I fought Leone. I have no idea what happened, but I ended up on the ground and I, I think she armbarred me or choked me or something, but it was brutal, absolutely brutal. And uh, Did you know Leone at this point? No. Okay. So since then, obviously, naturally, I befriended her because, you know, she was a badass. And I yeah. was like, oh, let's be friends. Please help me. Um, yeah, and we've been friends ever since. But she was the reason I basically stopped jiu-jitsu. Really? And took a year, yeah, pretty most part of a year off. Probably trained intermittently, but not much. But then I was also kind of um, going to university and things like that. So I had different life yeah. things going on. Sure. Mm. And um, I can't remember how we got on, how we got on the UAE fly. tournaments somehow. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about being the end of your career. Oh, yeah. And, and by the sounds of it, it's going to be the end of your career because you couldn't possibly deal with the number of flights. Yeah, potentially. Like incident. I'd still, Europeans is like always will hold a place in my heart and I'll always go to Europeans. And Are I you think, genuinely thinking about slowing down the competitions or? Yeah, I think just but so. The, the last 12 months have been your most successful, no? Yeah. And you know, it's that weird. But like significantly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's just from literally booking the ticket and going and putting myself out there. And yes, I don't I don't think it's because you went there. That's <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's how tournaments work. No, okay. It's just like it, it's really that the hardest part of the tournament is getting the flight over there. No, it's not. It's actually doing the fighting, but <laughs> True. But I like think you have you've had a really successful year the last like you've gone to a lot of international tournaments. Yeah. And you're now one of the best women grapplers in you know in in the gear especially yeah one of the top women in the world and you. and you kind of in that was in the last 12 months really yeah the last yeah, six, 18 I think, months so my I, th I would say my best year was my first year at brown belt so i absolutely i feel from that point kind of just excelled and was killing it for a whole year but, and then i don't know it's hard to compare like, i know but but brown brown belt and black belt are different yeah yeah it's true kind of nobody what, really cares what you do at brown belt <laughs> They don't care what you've done a brown belt when you get your black belt. Yeah. It, it's only relevant it's like at the time. Reset. But yeah. the, black, the black belt will last forever because you never get another belt. No. You know? So mm. you win a tournament with a black belt and that, that, that's yours until you die. You win mm. one at brown and it kind of is, it, it becomes irrelevant as soon as you get the next grade. 
which is why people shouldn't worry so much. Don't put so much stress over what you do at the low grades. When yeah. you get a black belt, stop stressing about how Absolutely. Well, they say, don't they, you kind of start a clean slate. And I think yeah. unless you... So obviously with the UAE tournaments, you fight brown black, which is really Combined. good for the okay. brown belts. Oh, so you were beating black belts uh, when you were brown belt anyway? Some, yeah. yeah. Um, it's great. It's really kind of catered towards the brown belts, I think, because they're pretty much the underdog and they don't have anything to lose against losing against top black belts. Well, it used to be... Um, it, it, it's just a numbers thing isn't it there's just yeah. not enough black belt not enough women. women no exactly it used to be purple brown black for all belt uh, yeah. for all uh, for men and women and men as well yeah yeah when mm. i first when I, uh, the first year that the uae because my first ever tournament of purple belt was um was the U, the first i believe the first ever uae tournament in the u in london okay it was at dartford judo oh yeah yeah and, i think i was there and leonie was there probably so. and um I fought black belt yeah. in, in my second fight. Nice. I, I got my purple belt like a few weeks beforehand. So yeah. like you know, they, they, they combined everything, and then it was just and then it was just brown and black. Then it was just black, and now still just brown and black for the women. Yeah. But I think eventually that will change. Yeah, absolutely, because they belt. like again purple, brown, black, and now they give purple belts their own division. There are a lot of brown belts out there now. I think you would probably get more black belts sign up if there were less brown belts because there's it's, they don't it, like to lose face, right? Yeah, and lose to brown belts. But to be honest with you, with the women. Um, it's quite a close margin between brown and black, I think. Do you know what I mean? Like, like so for example, Tamara and I, so she's a brown belt and I'm currently <laughs> such a... So she's, I always fight her in the final pretty much. It's usually her and I because we're the highest ranked within the um, world ranking. We're always on opposite sides of the bracket. So it's usually her and I that get to the final and she's a brown belt and she's beat, I beat her in Abu Dhabi Grand Slam, not this year, the year before. Um, and then since then, she didn't fight Tokyo. I fought Tokyo and won there. That was a pretty awesome competition. One mm. of the best ones I've ever been to. And then uh, she came to LA. So I, she was on the same side of the bracket in LA because she hadn't been fighting the season. And I lost, but I lose by like advantages. It's mm. crazy. I make silly mistakes. And I think a lot of it is a mental battle. Um, and then she went on to win in Rio. And then I lost her in the Grand Slam by referee's decision in uh, LA. And then we come to London Grand Slam. And um, she, oh no. So in between that, I've been fighting some of the national pros to get the points. So I fought her in Spain two weeks before the London Grand Slam and beat her. But then can't, I'm like the person who plays, you know, who, who if you play pool. I can't pot the black. I'm yeah. that person who can yeah. who can get all the way through and smash it and struggle potting the black. And that's basically my problem that I'm having. And the black ball is the, uh, the world. The world is the final. The final yeah. is the final. So she's obviously a brown belt. I mean, she should be a black belt by now. To be honest with you, um, she's. I she's think been I actually think things. that um, the brown and black belt on an elite level are essentially indistinguishable. Uh, Female and male. Yeah. Because actually, look at the number of elite. A, a lot of elite brown belts won't be given their black belt until they their instructor believes that they can actually enter black belt division at the top and do well yeah exactly. It, you, you don't go brown belt all the way until your bottom of black belt then go black belt no. and start the bottom and work up yeah you see half the guys who get their brown belts then go and win yeah the world championships a black belt the next year yeah you know so so actually i think you know obviously there's just a much bigger gap between a top level black belt and a low level brown belt yeah, uh, but I think between a top level brown belt and a top level black belt, there actually isn't much of a difference. No, at all. exactly. So, you know, I, yeah. it doesn't. It's no really issue for me now for fighting brown belts um, at these competitions because I'm used to it. You know, we travel all over the world and compete there. Um, how do we get onto this? Um, to my retirement. <laughs> yes. This is me announcing my retirement. Yeah, I'm trying to talk you out of quitting, basically. <laughs> oh yeah. So what I wanted to say was, and I know this is a really, um, what's the word? I think I drank too much coffee. <laughs> 
uh, not a common quote, but like quite a famous quote of people don't realise how close they are when they give up. And it's not that I feel like I'm giving up. I feel like I really gave it a good shot. The travel takes a lot out of me. Um, but I also think getting older, I don't necessarily want to be the person that's hanging on to the divisions. Do you know what I mean? I'm fighting like tomorrow's 10 years younger than me. Like most of the girls that I fight in the finals of competitions are 10 years younger than me. And yes, I'm in the final, but that's not quite enough. And it, and and again, I don't know. I can argue both sides in that. Yeah, you get into the final. That's great. But I'm not fighting for second place. I'm fighting for first place. But then equally, you could argue, well, if you don't fight at all, then you don't get first place either. Uh, <laughs> so, when you are in the final, you are fighting for first place. Yeah. When you're at home, you're not. No, exactly. So that, that's it's so, it's so interesting. I had no idea about that you were... Con- so you're considering not really competing next year or... I'd really like... So this year now, I'm going to fight the World Pro in that's two weeks. That's in like weeks. two weeks. Yeah. No, th- three weeks. Two and a half. Two yeah, and a half yeah. weeks, yeah. In 27th. Yeah. Yeah. 26th, yeah, yeah. That end of the week. I've This will be my fifth World Pro and I've never medaled on this stage. So I fought twice at Purple Belt. I won the ticket. Um, lost to Monique Elias one year. Um, the second year, I can't remember. I, th- I know I fought Claudia Duval. I think this in the up. They used to run the absolute. Again, I'll be confused. My memory's not the best. Sure. Um, so I, I'd fought Fernanda Mazzelli and Claudia Duval and beat Claudia. Didn't beat Fernanda Mazzelli, but they'd given her two points for taking me down off of her knees or something, which wasn't two points. And again, I wasn't really aware at that time. And then fought again. So then the following year went. No, I thought once at purple, once at brown. Was it twice at brown? Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we just That was completely pointless. Anyway, I've never meddled. I've never made it there. Last year that I fought, I tore my hamstring in February. So I think it was a bit soon to I come back that, yeah. and compete. And I, I fought Jessica Swanson. She's really good. And if you make a mistake with her, it's game over. Mm. So she caught me really early on. Uh, and then I fought the repechage and lost to Samara again through trying to defend a knee bar on my leg that wasn't really working at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying not to... I put too, way too much pressure on myself when there's like $10,000 on the line. So last year, has it this bracket is is great for me. Do you know, the UAE, I feel like the UAE genuinely like me. They're, they're very pro Sam, like in terms of like media exposure and interviews and things like this. Like they, they're very pro a non Brazilian champion, if I'm honest. Oh really? Yeah. Which is why I think that they've brought in all the Brazilian, not the Brazilian qualifiers, but all the qualifiers so that there are only two spots for Brazilians or anybody from their country to go through. Um, so they're very pro me, and I tend to just I guess, I guess like fluff it up a little bit. If you can, if you look at what the UA are trying to do, they're trying to take jujitsu away from the stronghold of the Brazilians. Yeah. So it makes sense that that starts with yeah, maybe they're not going to get an Arabic speaker as world champion yet. No. But that's obviously their end goal. Um, but the first step is to get it away from the Brazilians. Yeah, exactly. With all the qualifiers and things. So that's coming up in the next two weeks, which I'm preparing for. And then we have the World Championships <coughs> this year. Um, hoping to get a good bracket for that for having competed quite a lot of IBJJF tournaments as well. And then after that, that's what I mean. Like this is this is the World uh, Mundials. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the World. So there'll be my second year at Black Belt. Um, How did you I do last year? Third place last year. Uh, lost to Anna Carolina in the semi-finals. Um, so yeah, hoping to do better this time. I want to kind of just give it everything I can. Uh, a lot of it for me is like a self is a lot of self belief. Basically, uh, I think it's really hard to kind of believe in yourself. And one of the things that so somebody asked me about, I think it was uh, Sarah Mariner, uh, had asked me how what happened from you to go from like fighting these smaller tournaments to fighting big competitions yeah. and actually going and winning. Yeah. And 
to be really honest with you, it was having somebody who believed in me. So somebody who was able to say, what do you mean? Of course you can do this. You can, you can be the best in the world. Like, let, you know, and then with repetition and technique, but that somebody, whenever you doubt yourself to basically be like, no, well, this is why we're putting the work in. This is what we're working towards. This is it. You, you can't even enter, you know, doesn't even entertain it. Something that you respect or you admire or somebody's opinion that you really value. And for me, it was Brad. Yeah. So Bradley, when I first met Bradley, just so like incredibly confident, like his jiu-jitsu was amazing. So we met in Abu Dhabi, uh, one of the years that I'd won the trials and we trained together. And he was obviously fighting at middleweight with, for Abu Dhabi, which is 85 kilos. And I was fighting under 70. So, you know, a bit of a weight difference between us. But he rolled with me in a way that he didn't put any pressure on me. Everything that I went for, he went with and changed for something else. And he had like this complete flair about him. And I was just absolutely blown away. And I was like, how, how is your jiu-jitsu like this? Like, no offense, most guys that I roll with mm. usually, you know, put quite a lot of pressure on, do use a bit of strength. I'm not saying that they don't have technique as well, but there's a certain, a certain element behind it that is like, you know, pressure and strength based and he's like oh well this is how i think jiu-jitsu should be you know it's meant to be about the gentle art he said i don't take any pride in like smashing you but you know we could actually have a really good exchange and you know with movement and stuff um so then he and i started training together for about six months and then after that our relationship developed um and then for him at competition it was i would start to kind of just doubt myself and i'm like yeah but you know i can't beat you know this person in the final and he's like what like but not to the point where somebody's just fueling your ego and just being like oh no of course you can you know you're really good it was genuinely like no sam you're you're literally the best you can beat them you can beat anybody on a given day mm. and then that kind of belief in me being surrounded by that on a regular basis just made me believe so much more in myself. So I fight so much better when I believe in myself and not that I, I generally thought that a lot of my success was just a fluke. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, you know, maybe this person didn't turn up in the division or, um, you know, yeah, but she, you know, she did this mistake. So that's how I won. And he was like, no, your, your, your technique is solid. you you know, you, you've trained hard for it. Your cardio is good. You're good at jujitsu. Mm. I'm like, oh, okay. It's really hard to believe in that yourself. You know, I think that, that that's quite a natural thing that a lot of people, exactly. um, it's called like imposter syndrome. Yeah, Have you heard absolutely. it? Yeah. Where people are just like, oh yeah, I'm going to get figured out today. Yeah. Like every time you go to talk, like today's the day where they're going to figure out that I'm terrible at jujitsu. Yeah, I have this so bad it, mm. it, with my job, like in life, everything. I just feel like people are one day going to be like, oh, you're you're a fraud. And I'm like, but then there are some days that I think most people in life are winging it. Everybody, well, you know, most people. I, I think just, I think by the rationale that someone who has achieved what you have achieved could believe that it was a fluke. <laughs> by that rationale, everyone's winging it. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't think you can recreate that sort of success over and over again by accident. No, and I understand it is to do with like your training and repetition and, and learning and take a responsibility for your learning as well. But it's still so hard to have that self-belief. But yeah, like you said, do, loads do, of people do you know why? this. Do you have like, can you put a, you're a pretty smart girl, I like to think. Me and my mind, we aren't friends. Uh, <laughs> do you, can you, do you, do you, do you have any idea like what that comes from, whether it stems from something um, or whether it's just like a part of your makeup that you don't believe in yourself? One of my personalities. There we go. We'll get, we'll get onto that. <laughs> We'll get onto that at some point. Um, because there are sometimes part of the year. So Europeans, for me, always falls. I don't know whether it's because it's after Christmas and seeing family and friends or having a good time and relaxing, <coughs> but always falls on a good time of year for me where I feel like unstoppable. Mm. And genuinely, even you, you if won, I... You won Euros last year, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. So I won it four years in a row. Oh, wow. Okay. So um, twice at purple, twice at brown. My first year at black belt in 2018 
I feel I was unfairly decided against in the final. Was uh, it a ref decision? Yeah. So yeah. it was a split referee's decision. And oh, wow. I feel at some point there was a magical advantage given to my opponent, which even to this day, I have no idea how they can warrant it. And um, I think it was a little bit biased, if I'm honest. Not that I'm bitter or anything. So I was pretty... I was just about to say, <coughs> well, at least you're not bitter about it. Oh, no, not at all. I'm just holding this on for life. So going this year and winning was a really big deal for me yeah. um and i was really happy about it i don't know if you saw the flow grappling had captured like the best moments of me yeah. just celebrating and being happy because the girl that i fought before the final i knee barred her and it was a hideous sound that i it still i think resonates in my head and i generally don't like that like i know some people are absolutely brutal and they're like you it's, know we're, it's, we're, it's part of the game yeah it is part of the game but i do think also people are responsible for not for not letting things go so far and injuring themselves i don't know so i don't really they're responsible more than you they're are, responsible 100%. yeah absolutely but I still hold it within me that I don't want to celebrate when I feel like potentially I've just injured her and put her out of training and competition. Yes, it's still her responsibility, but this may be the nice sound that comes out. Um, so I couldn't really celebrate because I was like, oh, great, I'm in the final, but you know, this is a horrible sound that's now haunting me. Uh, but I felt completely unstoppable. And I don't know why it always falls on a good time for me, whether it's just that part one of those personalities that comes out after christmas or is around over christmas and then the uh doubting insecure anxious one comes out afterwards um but yeah so i don't know so for me a lot of my success is dependent on my not my personality it's a weird it's but your, a, your mental state my mental state absolutely so is this something that you've I assume you've dealt with throughout your entire grappling career yeah throughout my entire life i think yeah, yeah. and i think a lot of people do and I think uh, a lot of people have mel- uh, mental health problems, like not not problems necessarily, but issues that they have yeah. to deal with. And that kind of afflicts every part of their life. And because competition is such a stressful thing and it just kind of, it can be so unnatural, even though I think there is a, a huge level of nat- n- you know, natural instinct that go into that level of competition. I think it's also highly unnatural. Mm. I think it, it it's not something that I've explored too much, but I genuinely believe that uh, competition is significantly more unnatural for women than it is for men from like an in from an evolutionarily uh, you know a genetically a, a throwback fighting and, and violence and competition is kind of hardwired into men because we're a, we're like a tournament based hmm. um, species that men would compete for the female yeah. obviously back in the day not na- not these days so much uh but i think that male competition is actually really natural to males and i think the women competition is not very natural to women so i actually can see that there could be a lot of those sort of issues of anxiety and lack of self-confidence and belief in in, in, in yourselves as part of that so have you dealt with i was going to say like how do you deal with that but actually it sounds like you're kind of it's an ongoing battle i think <laughs> it doesn't sound like you've quite cracked it yet no absolutely not and there are times where i think oh, i've got it you know i've got it down I've, i'm able to tap into that focus but i generally feel like it just wherever it falls on my mental state and i for some reason can't really control that and it's not so when i explain to people like what i do and people are like, oh i don't want to mess with you literally the first thing they say oh i don't want and i said well because i'll probably hug you to death like you know it's in my head it's not it's not really a violent sport it, it's a sport you know i'm going there to kind of um, compete against somebody but it's not in my head in the, with the intention to hurt them but I also think that that ruthless mentality is kind of what makes people really successful you know yeah. and not worrying about the other person and that you're going to hurt them or whichever because I've battled with this for a long time in terms of training and stuff which is and it tends to be more with women so I'll 
I train with guys, so like I love training with Brad or any of the like our guys at the gym because if I'm like a little bit spazzy or I go a bit rough, I don't really care. Like I'm like you can take it; it's fine sure. in my head. There's women can take it. There's nothing. There's nothing that them saying to me like I'm I'm fragile. You know, I, I I'm training in this sport, but I don't really want to get hurt. Um, but for me mentally to kind of overcome that because I never trained with women. So throughout my, most of my career between Bristol and then coming to London, we I had a couple of like lower. Uh, belts to train with but not really somebody consistent mm. and not so many girls as what we've got now mm. so that was quite a big learning curve for me in terms of you know when I used to kind of fight with some of the guys in Bristol or even I, like I don't care I can literally just go absolutely ham on these guys and yeah. not worry about hit like you know hitting them <laughs> I don't hit people um but you're, not, about you're, hurting you're not worried them. about hurting people yeah no but but then changing and coming to fights and we have a lot of smaller girls too I'm like okay I need to kind of maybe change the way that I train and I thought well no I I shouldn't really um and brad had spoken to a psychologist about this uh and they kind of presented to him about having 100 percent days and 80 percent days and a way of kind of like not passing the responsibility over to your partner or your training partner but for me or for him and then i kind of stole it took it on board to be like okay if you want to train with me you need to know that today's one of my 100 percent days so yeah. it's it's ruthless i'm going to be attacking the whole time and going for it and you know if you're willing to yeah. be part of that then i feel like like i've given them a chance to sort of say no Opt i don't out. want you to be yeah and, yeah and i don't know if that's weird but in my head you know i've been fully transparent so if i'm a bit rough or whichever they kind of know that that's what's happening do you know what i mean yep. and they're you know a willing participant you're being then, tra transparent like I'm going to go hard today. Yeah, basically. So be ready. Either be ready for that or leave. Yeah. We basically have a joke amongst the fight zone ladies. We call it pancake day um, uh, because they used to get pancaked underneath it. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're tough women, you know? Yeah. And these are like featherweight girls. Like the girls at our gym, like I'm one of the heaviest of like maybe a couple of people who are like middle plus. The rest of them are much lighter. But they are so game. And they're so, and it wasn't them stopping me and saying, Sammy, you're being a bit too rough. Do you know what I mean? And getting a bit funny about it. It was me stopping myself. Yeah. And actually just need to be like, I need to tell you that if you're going to roll with me, A, we're going to roll to black belt rules. I'm preparing for competition. And B, it's 100% day. It's pancake mm. day. And then they're down and it's cool. You mentioned something there which sparked a thought in my head, mm. uh, which is you didn't roll with really any women up until you were at Fight Zone and, you know, very late in your career, brown belt, black belt mm. sort of level. I think this is a quite a common theme for the top female competitors, which makes me wonder whether training with women is good or bad for women. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and I don't have any thought on this. I'm literally just like spitballing this as as we talk right now. But it does seem that all of the women that I've spoken to, likely only like Fion, actually as they came up in their career, there weren't the number of women in the sport that there are these days, especially in places like Fight Zone when you have a lot of women on your mats. Mm. Um, and because because generally it takes one woman to be successful to actually create a women's team behind it. So generally that woman being successful is going to come along when they're not actually training with a lot of women. Mm. So the question is, is is training with a lot of women good or actually is training with a lot of women bad for women? Interesting. Um, so that's what, when I say I didn't train with a lot of women, it just reminded me, that's not completely true. So what I used to do, so in Bristol, I, um, I injured my MCL at one point and then came back, rehabbed it and fought the London Open and lost to Martina, who's a really good friend of mine now. And she's also part of the same team. We train together quite a lot. And I thought, she, you know, this is different. I've been training with guys and I think that this is a different kind of 
way of training, women are, you know, they fight differently to what men do. So then what I started to do was go to Denmark and Copenhagen. And I spent most of my time training for European camps there because there was Shanti, Ida, Yanni, Camilla, middleweight, four middleweight black belt women training What belt there. were you at this point? I was purple. So I took myself over there to go and train with them. And to be honest with you, a lot of the stuff that I learned in terms of with my game now was built with those women, in particular Yanni. So Yanni spent loads of time with me. Um, Larson? Yeah. 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 Uh, like showing me her kind of like spider guard techniques and I still use it. It's literally my bread and butter of my style of game now. So had I not gone over there, who knows where I would be now. But even at that level, you're, you're, you won Euros that year. Yeah, I went, yeah. So you were always, already international purple belt level, you know? But when I you were training with the there. Yeah, but like you were already that level yeah. when you were training with the girls. Yeah. I'm talking at like white belt, blue belt. Yeah. You know? Mm. I just feel that actually, potentially, and I'm not saying that it is or isn't the case, but it could be the case that women trying to train exclusively with women or even majority with women might not be as beneficial yeah. as training with men. And I don't disagree with that. And I think, so at Fight Zone, we don't have ladies' classes. We don't have a women's class. We only have mixed classes. The, only, the time that I think that a women's only class comes into play, so obviously I run the women ass, which are women-only seminars. We'll talk about that, yeah. yeah, that obviously brings a lot of women together. And I think that's important for them to come together, share experiences, as well as learn from each other and roll with each other. But I had a chat with um, Marco and James about the, like having a women's class. And they were kind of like, well, we don't necessarily feel like we need it. Um, because also like their classes are really, really super busy. Like it's absolutely rammed the whole evening. So when would there be a space for it? But how much are the women actually benefiting from this? And I think there is an element in terms of introducing women. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's it. the best thing. for yeah. yeah. And I think with the view of preparing them then to go and into them intermediate classes, do you know, yeah. or like the mixed, cl- not intermediate, the mixed classes. So in terms of, Women starting a new sport where they might be, um, you know, like a little bit shy, not sure about, you know, people come to my classes um, at Fight Zone and have never done, haven't done a forward role for about 10 years. Yeah. Absolutely, completely normal. So I don't know. For me, I like to feel prepared. Pretty much in most things in my life, I work on kind of like a, um, like an evidence-based, like I'm happy to go and try something new, but I will read up about it first and yeah. make sure that I don't feel silly, basically. Mm. So, and I wonder if lots of women feel like this. So perhaps when they come with each other, rather than rolling in a mixed class, knowing some kind of like, you know, hip escapes, forward rolls, some defensive positions, close guard, you know, mount positions or whichever, before they go into the mixed classes would probably make them feel more comfortable and I think is likely to encourage them to stay in the sport. Yeah. Whereas maybe sometimes just throwing them straight in the deep end. Some people are fine. Like I trained only with guys. But yeah. my I started so the person that got me into jiu-jitsu was my boyfriend. So I had I didn't start it off my own back. I had an avenue and a, like a safety net of somebody who I know would be able to help me kind of, you know, make me feel safe in whichever, yeah. uh, rather than throwing myself in the deep end as well. Mm. So I agree in that I don't think it's necessarily that beneficial to train exclusively with women. Um, I think it helps to encourage new people m- into m- the sport. Maybe sort of like the first six months. Yeah. Spend a lot of time training with other women, but then also be very prepared as you move towards the end of white belt and into blue belt to actually get some more training time in with the men. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, that's interesting. Mm. You know, c- c- kind of continuing on from that with the women, um, being a woman who's, not only been in the sport for a really long time, actually. How long have you been training for? Uh, be 11 years now. Okay. That's a quick, fair, fair amount of time. <laughs> um, 
who's been in the sport for a long time and has obviously seen a lot of other women in, come into the sport uh, and kind of does quite a lot for women's jiu-jitsu in the UK full stop. Um, what sort of, what have you found to be some of the m- biggest things that would keep women in the sport and biggest things that would put women off of the sport? Because it is, it's definitely hard. Yeah, it is hard because it's such a strange, like, unless I think you have a sibling. <laughs> so my brother and I used to okay. fight like cat and dog when we were younger. Yeah. And when I started jiu-jitsu, I was like, oh, same thing. Great. <laughs> and I was super aggressive then. And yeah, so it kind of transferred over. Whereas, so I I don't know really what brings people to it. I think um, there's an element of it, like, of self-defense. and It, it being, is like the best sport. It's the best thing for a woman to do for self-defense. Yeah, exactly. Stop, because so if you're being attacked, so that's like, not going to stand up and throw punches track with you. and field and learn to run very fast. Yeah. <laughs> the combination of those two <laughs> throw things. Throw the javelin that you carry yeah. around with you. <laughs> Straight into somebody's heart. Oh, well, more, more, more the track than the field. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hurdling over bodies. I don't know. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, someone's not going to stand up with you and go toe-to-toe and start punching you. They're probably going to grapple you and take you to the ground. So yeah. absolutely, I think there's that element to it. Um, but in terms of what gets people interested... I don't know. I think other women in the sport and them seeing them mm. compete and them being successful at something that maybe historically has been quite, what well, is historically a very male-dominated sport, what keeps them? I think people pe- feeling safe where they are keeps them. Them getting some kind of enjoyment out of it. So I, I think what's quite important, so when I, so I teach the beginners and mostly it's guys, to be honest with you, not many girls come to my class. What I like to do is kind of share some of the techniques but then also like make them feel that they're actually doing some kind of exercise so i think one of the most appealing things for jujitsu is that those people who don't necessarily don't just go to the gym to kind of like do weights and you know like some people get quite a lot of enjoyment from that some people don't they like to do a sport side of it so women actually feeling like they're getting a bit of a sweat on and they're training their Mm. whole body at the same time a form of exercise as well as like learning the techniques and learning a martial art do you that's just how do you implement that what do you mean? Well, you said like uh, in, they need to feel like they're having a workout. Is that that's mm. just going to come naturally from them rolling or? Yeah, yeah. So, but if they're like proper fresh newbies, so we get them doing like specific positions. So sometimes we'll just play some games where people just sure. lie next to each other, and then the first person to basically hold the other person down, or yeah. we do like shoulder taps, knee taps, or we play some some games with it. And they don't really realize how hard they're working. They're doing some like uh, strength and conditioning drills, basically. Yeah, like basically, some, or some S and C games. Yeah. With- yeah body weight each other yeah um and then when they can get to the point where i feel they're kind of safe enough to actually have a more of an exchange than lots of specific sparring for like close guard or man or whichever and just escaping the position um i think that's kind of you know people i mean i do like two minutes with these guys and they're absolutely burnt out mm. <laughs> so um, oh yeah white belts would just go too hard yeah. and they'll be tired very very quickly but Usually. i think people get into i don't know there's something about grappling that people just really it's very natural you know it, they, they just absolutely enjoy and that that i don't know for me personally that feeling of when you've had a really good training session like you know they say like you never you could never have a bad run and you can never have a bad training session you can have a bad I, training I've session i've had lots but, so. yeah me too but happens. when you have those good ones you have just just a white belt's listening you have more bad sessions the more you go on when no. you get to black belt you get the most bad sessions <laughs> yeah you yeah it, and again it depends on your expectations so yeah. when, there are days when i come to training and i can feel absolutely full of energy and i'm like great i'm gonna smash it today these are things i'm gonna work on i'm gonna not get my guard pass i'm gonna work on my guard recovery specific and people will be passing my guard or i'm just playing on top and i'm getting smashed there and it makes no sense to me and the only thing that i can put it down to is that my expectation for that day was much higher because of mm. how i felt when i'm so tired and 
let's say I've done like uh, a strength and conditioning session and a morning drill session um, or I've been to work all day and I'm absolutely hanging like it's been an accumulation of a busy week and I come to training and my expectation is here rubbish I have the best training session ever yeah. and I'm literally killing it and I have no idea whether it's just because I'm more relaxed and I'm just not expecting anything and I have a great session or I don't know <laughs> it's like if you go into a film you go to watch a film expecting it to be the greatest film of all time and then it's always going to be a disappointment yeah but if you expect it to be shit you'd be like no actually that, was, that wasn't half bad yeah it's true yeah <laughs> same um, thing applies so in, you know you, you mentioned briefly some of the training that you do uh, over the last 11 years you've gone from white belt to one of the best grapplers this country's ever <laughs> made Ooh, <thanks>. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so uh, has your how has your training changed over those over that time um I'd say I train a lot less now. So I went through a phase. When I first came to London, I was training at London Fight Factory. And we did... Um, How long ago was this? That, I came to London in 2015. Okay. Yeah, so... Not, not long ago? No, during that time. So I was in Bristol training with, with Italo Ferreira initially and got my blue belt from him. He moved over to uh, teach in Abu Dhabi. And then we had Chico come over. Mm-hmm. So I was training with Chico for a few years. And that was between Bristol and Cheltenham. And then I would go to Denmark to train with the girls quite frequently there for the camps. So then I came to London, literally went to London Fight Factory, and we did a shed load of sparring here to the point where it would get to Wednesday, Thursday, and uh, my body would be in absolute bits. Yeah. But I was like, no, this is everybody's doing this. This is how I need to be training. Um, and I just started to wear myself down and then mentally really took its toll on me. And I then just had to look at, take a step back and look at how much I'm training, what I'm training, and is this the most efficient way for me to be basically progressing in jiu-jitsu and preparing for competition? So that was a quite a steep learning curve for me. And it, it made me realize that I was overtraining um, to the point where like I can't sleep. So there will be like day and I'm so tired and um, might be times when I'm dieting as well or just eating normally and I can't sleep at night. I'm not recovering the next day. My body's still sore mentally. I'm just <laughs> weeping, crying in the corner. I remember a few times where I was just crying whilst rolling with somebody and ch- choking them from the back and just being like, oh, sorry. Really? <laughs> yeah. How bad? Where, yeah, just emotional. So, so emotional. And then I was like, Sam, stop. Take a look like, at what's going on here. Is this really, A, in terms of quality of life, are you enjoying how much that you're training right now? Eh, probably not, but then it's balancing between like, what your goals are and how you need to get there. And okay, maybe you do need to go through some some tough times. I understand that. And then um, just basically looked at it and thought, okay, look, this is my my training at the moment. We're doing lots and lots of that. Not a lot of like strength and conditioning or like so. My strength and conditioning stuff. I don't do a lot of conditioning. It's well, I do a lot of rowing now, but okay. um, I spar mainly. It's my sparring and sure. then strength work. But that would go through phases. So it's not ever really been yeah, that consistent. You'd like do a block of strength training and then you take a months off. And yeah. Then, yeah. Um, and I don't really know how beneficial that is, but not not very. <laughs> no, okay. No. <laughs> I go through phases with it, and um, uh, it would be more beneficial than doing nothing, but mm, less beneficial than training. Yeah, consistently, sucked, consistently. Yeah. Um, so I just took a step back. I took out most of the sparring, and now what I do is so not most of the sparring, but as in because I was sparring twice a day hard. Okay. Um, and it was too much for my body to cope with. Yeah. And I could only tell that by my mental state, really. Um, and like I said to you before, in terms of with struggling kind of the mental side of things, it was only detrimental to me to break myself down so low to then go and compete feeling that rubbish, basically. 
Um, so now I do with, um, now Brad's also in London, a lot of training and drilling with Brad. It's pretty much him that will, we go through new stuff and he'll kind of advise on things that I like, should be working on and stuff really. And areas that I say to him, like, mm, I'm getting a little bit stuck here. And we go through yeah. some drills and stuff. And then we do the sparring kind of like in the evening. But if there are days when my body is like, no, not today, then I don't train. And that it's knowing the difference between being lazy and knowing when your body and your mind need to take a rest. That just comes from experience most of the time. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And depending on which personality is present at the time. <laughs> okay, you've mentioned it three times now. <laughs> your theory is that you have multiple personalities? Yeah, I think so. It's This is obviously clearly self-diagnosed from Dr. Cook over here. Um, okay. But I, I, was, I wrote something down the other day which just made me, after having a bit of a bad spell, so I have some quite... I feel quite bad spells. Obviously, it's not, you know, everybody experiences different mm. things in life of depression, mm. which can last one week or two weeks. So not like six months or, you know, however long, maybe like, um, I don't know, typical depression can last for. Um, but it's quite severe and it's quite sabotaging to my life at those points. So yeah. I feel like even though I competed a lot last year, I had to really push through these periods that um, were making me feel pretty rubbish. And I actually think that some of the times when I've not performed to my best are due to those periods. Yeah. So I, you've, been, I, you've been competing during that period. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's been a, it's been forced basically to get the, the, the ranking for the UAE um, and fighting all the grand slams and traveling all the different places to kind of put myself in the best position possible for basically the world pro and the world championships. So it's, yeah, it's made me have to go, come on, Sam, as much as you feel really rubbish right now, go. You need to sort this out. You have to do something. Because I thought maybe pushing through it was the best option. Mm. Now, I still don't know what the best option is, but it's really um, just completely self-sabotaging. And I become a completely different person to what I am normally. So the person that you're sat with now, who is very sociable, happy, generally, you know, easily pleased in life, simple things, um, yeah socializing talking to people no problem like you know you could ask me right now to go and deliver a presentation to like i don't know a thousand people on a topic that i'm familiar with and i'll do it in a you know the drop of a hat you catch me in that week or those two weeks and i won't answer my phone won't like talk to anybody will barely leave the house my diet completely goes out the window i become a very low negative person who completely like self sabotages herself and literally wow so polar opposite to the person that I am now and you never guess that as well and anyway you never guess it no that's yeah. what I mean everybody always sees the smiling person who's happy behind the camera you know social yeah. media creates this whole facade and I'm not saying I'm, I think lots of people probably have this in their lives and we're coming to the point where mental health is a much more open topic that we discuss yeah. and I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing like I listen to a lot of um, like audiobooks or like read stuff online and um I was listening recently to David Goggins' uh, Can't Hurt Me. So yes. I listened to it as an audiobook because then he also pitches in every now and then to narrate it. And this guy's obviously been through a really rough time. I get it. And his kind of view on life is like, you just have to push through. You just have to, you know, get through it. But that's so hard to do when you're in like what what I call the hole. Mm. So like um like I've talked to my mum quite frequently about this and obviously Brad and stuff and I'm and she'll be like, you know, how are things going, what's going on? And I was like, Yeah, I, I think I'm in the hole right now. Like mm. there's a cloud over my head, I think I'm in it. And she's like, Okay, well what are you trying to do to manage it? And I was like, Well, I'm still training. I'm keeping my diet relatively clean and I try to be proactive with it. Um but it's that negative kind of me and my mind become two separate people and my mind will completely try to just destroy me and give me like anxiety and this person's judging you and this is happening. And I'm like, we're, the, we're part of the same being. Why are we not? 
that why are we not on the same page? Why yeah. do our minds like turn against us and tell us that we're we're not worthy, we're not capable, you know, we we're a fraud, we've got imposter syndrome. Just to really, really break me down to get to the point where so I um I know I really like going into my whole history. No, go for it. <laughs> I went and I think like to... it's important to talk about these sort of things because maybe I other think... people are also experiencing no, 100% other <laughs> yeah. people are. And I like I know for a fact that other people are because I've spoken to other people who are going through like the exact same thing, but mm. if nobody speaks about it because they feel like they're the only one going through it, then everyone feels like they're the only one. Yeah. But the reality is like maybe half the population or something, exactly. you know, it, it, it can be a lot of people really do. Cuz so I think it is important that actually and also the fact that you can go through some you can be in the hole whilst competing, whilst training, and actually still be really kind successful at what you're doing. Yeah, but you know? it's hard. It's then it's your mind telling you that well, it was just lucky. You, it was just a fluke, and it doesn't really, it doesn't help. That's what I found, which was kind of obviously like a disappointment in that I couldn't push through it, and you know, because I also really suffer with quite bad fatigue. So I went to the doctor. I've been to the doctor a couple of times. The first time I said, am I bipolar? Because I'm literally the happiest person on the earth who sees everything from a positive point of view. And then for one, maybe two weeks, depending on how severe it is, or sometimes it's a couple of days, sometimes it doesn't happen at all. Yeah. What happens to me? I literally go from here to here and I, I have no explanation. And they're like, it's not, you're not bipolar because it's not six months of mania and six months of, you know, you're not like gambling and having sex with loads of people and spending all your money. And then, you know, being like severely depressed. I was like, no, it's not really that extreme. It's more that I feel like life stops for me during those two weeks because I, I just, I'm really bad at like, I procrastinate like, and if I allow it, so let's say, you know, if I don't have to go and teach on the evening or I don't have to go to work the next day, then I won't go. And there are some days where I'll sleep for 48 hours. Wow. Two whole days. And sometimes I'll wake up and it's gone and I'm fine. And then some days I wake up and I'm still in the hole and mm. I can't explain it. Mm. And then one day, so let's say my, because I thought it was all linked to my diet, this tiredness and fatigue that I was getting. Like maybe I've really messed up. I think I have pretty much messed up my metabolism from years of dieting and yo-yo dieting. Yeah. And I think, and I thought, well... This is sometimes I feel this rubbish when I'm cutting weight and my carbs are pretty low and maybe it's linked to that. So I'll increase my carbohydrate intake. I'll eat, you know, I'll have like snacks and chocolate and fruit and normal things and I still feel rubbish and it, it makes no sense to me. So I'll have like, I feel like it was like narcolepsy. I would sit at a computer desk or I sat on the train and I'm asleep in seconds. I'm like, this is important. I'm going into a deep sleep, like mm. literally sat on the train and I'll like pass out and then wake up, carry on. And then wherever I sit down, I'm gone again. And that always happens during that time where my mood is low so went to the doctor and explained and said to her like look i've been battling this for as long as i can remember now like literally from the beginning and i think maybe i just Begin didn't acknowledge it you know since you were a kid yeah okay yeah so i remember like after school times and i used to and i thought maybe i burnt myself out so i had horses when i was younger and it's pretty full-on I had two horses, so it was before school, after school, every day. And mm. I was like, maybe I did too much and burnt myself out and then became sleepy. But even then I would find, we'd go to sh shows on the weekend and I would compete in show jumping and then I'm asleep in the lorry on the way home or yeah. asleep on the way there. And I thought, oh, actually, this has been present for a really long time. So she said to me, Are your, is, your fatigue, is your fatigue and tiredness linked to a low mood? And I was like, yeah, it, pretty much. Like it, it's, like, it's almost like clockwork. And I said, is it some kind of weird hormonal response? Like, you know, could it be linked to some form like, like contraception? Or, you know, yeah. is, am I kind of messing my cycle up here? And she said, it just, it's very common. It just seems like you're having cycles of depression in those times. And I said, like, but how can I manage this? Because at the moment, it's not that bad. Don't get me wrong. And she said to me, like, have you ever had like suicidal thoughts or, you know, the standard question? And I said, no, it's not like 
I would ever consider, you know, ending my own life. But I can see why if somebody has this that I feel for a short period of time, for an extended period of time, mm. why they might feel like they don't life want to be Life is hopeless. Yeah. yeah. Because it's impossible. It's not rational. I can understand it if like, even if it was linked to competition, you know, I went to like the worlds and I trained so hard and I gave everything and I lost. I'm still don't get depressed by it. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? I gave it the best shot I could. I've had an amazing time. It's not just about competing. You know what I mean? I've learned so much about myself. Like, I don't know if you read that. I put quite um, like a long post up on Instagram recently after I lost the Grand Slam to tomorrow in the final. And I was like, you know what? It's not about me losing to her. It's not about me comparing myself to her or anybody else here. And it's not about gold medals. I mean, they go straight in the box. Like, do you mm. know what I mean? And the next competition, nobody even cares. Do you know mm. what I mean? Oh, great. You know, you know, you won the Europeans. The Pan Ams is next week. Like, there's a new champion. There's something yeah. else going on. So people don't really care, which I, which is fine by me. Um, and that's, I th also think, why I started to do so much better taking that pressure off and just going competing and enjoying the whole experience. So I could understand it if there was something that happened to me or something that was going on in my life that, you know, that people go through really, you know, tough times and hardships and maybe they have a reason to feel pretty rubbish right now. But it's not rational and it's not logical and I can't control it. So I'm in this vicious circle of I come out of it. I, I forget about it because it's like, well, I, I feel great now. Mm. I feel fine. I'm, I'm, you know, super pro. I can be so regimented. Like mm. I'm complete polar opposite. One end of me is like, let's say, you know, I, I have my training schedule, no matter how tired I am or what's going on, as long as I know mentally I'm strong, I will go. I'm doing it. Do you know what I mean? I can I can push through the dieting um, and like being regimented. So people will be like, oh, you can have like, you know, just a little bit. No, no, it's not for me. My focus is so strong. And then when this hole comes, then I'm literally the complete opposite person where everything that, you know, that means looking after myself or a healthy lifestyle or... I don't know, being productive and just getting on with like my day to day just completely goes out the window. And I don't know if being more aware of mental health issues, like you said, like we are much more aware of it is a good thing or a bad thing, because am I now acknowledging that this is here and are we getting to the point where so I think it, I don't know if it's Scandinavia or I think somewhere within Europe, they're having now, rather than just sick days from work where you're physically unwell, you have mental health days. Mm. So if you're mentally not Sounds feeling right, to me. Yeah. <laughs> if you're mentally not in a good place, you can take that as a day off of work. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if this is a good thing. Initially, I thought this is really good because those two days that I feel like I need to sleep for two days and physically can't do anything then maybe I could take this as a mental health day. But then yeah. part of me is like, well, if we acknowledge this as something, are we then going down this route of, okay, we're suffering with mental health issues. This Not an excuse, but this kind of gives us a reason to, you know, stop things or stop carrying on. Would actually, would it not be better practice to be like, I'm acknowledging it. I'm going to set less tasks for this week, being aware that, you know, this is going on or whatever, and try to manage my days differently rather than saying I can take a day off completely. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. No. <laughs> um, I think it's such a hard one with, with mental health because it's so, um, one, it's so invisible. Yeah. And two, it's so individual. You know, in the same way, like if you said, uh, saying that I have like a mental health issue, it's the same thing like saying like, I have an injury. Yeah. Right? Well, that's like, you know, what do you mean? Is your arm hurt? Is your leg hurt? You know, are you paralyzed? Like, like yeah. a, you know, the, it, it can be so, it can be so uh, varied. And I think it's the same with mental health. So, you know, how you deal with that when you're in that place is going to be different for every individual person. I think the real question is, why are people feeling like this? Like, is it, is mental health 
um, because issues becoming more prevalent in today's society, or are we just talking about it more? And it's actually existed since the dawn of time, mm. and we're just uh, speaking about it. So, so we're acknowledging it, and therefore it seems like it's a lot more prevalent. Or is there something inherently wrong in our society which is causing people to feel the way that you know they're, they're feeling these days? Whether that's diet. Whether that's, uh, you know, it depends how far into conspiracy theories you want to go, yeah. whether that's fluoride in the drinking water, whether that's uh, it's internet, whether that's 3G signals interfering with your Wi-Fi, interfering with your brain, mm-hmm. whether that's uh, social media giving women a terrible image of what they need to look like, everything. Um, I don't know what the cause is. No. I think that's a much deeper question. But I think, you know, it is an important thing to talk about what you do with the information that it's out is then going to be the next question is it better to just give people time or is it better to actually kind of okay well let's work on strategies to kind of fix that i don't know and and i think the other thing is that people need to be it's so difficult for people who don't suffer from things like depression to understand it you know that that's the main thing yeah if you tell a lot of people because there'll be people listening to this who have suffered from depression and when you're talking about it they're like 100% 100% I get that mm. you know I, I understand every single thing you're saying because uh, even though I've never suffered with any mental health issues thankfully um, I know a lot of people who have um, and I've been in relationships with people who have and then you kind of after a while you start to understand it you're almost living it a little bit through them so you mm-hmm. understand it a lot more than what what you would have before you'd uh, kind of spent time with these people mm. so there'll be a lot of people who are thinking yeah I know exactly what we're talking about a lot of people going what do you mean? You know, and yeah. and then you'll be like, oh, I feel bad today. And you're like, come on, just pull yourself out of yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. You know, oh, come on, come training. And you're like, oh, I just need to sleep for for 24 hours. Oh, don't be lazy and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like that. I think that's the that's the main thing. That's the worst thing that you can kind of it's say so to someone hard, in that yeah. in that position. Because I've never like I feel like age for me has played a big part in this. So I I as much as I was probably sleeping a lot and quite tired, and, but I was also doing a lot. I've also always done a lot with my life, and I think I've always attributed to that. Whereas, um, like, again, same similar thing. I know people who have suffered with depression and they're like, oh, I'm just tired all the time and, I'm, you know, I don't want to do this. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? Like, yeah. you, you need to look after yourself. You had to take yourself up and out of this situation. It's so hard to do that when you're in it. Yeah. And it's you versus your mind who's who's telling you that you're, like, worthless and, you know, you don't bother getting up today. What's the point? And it, but for me is the fatigue, so the tiredness. And that's what – so when, um, when Brad and I went to Tokyo last year, we're like, such an amazing trip – I had a bit of a rough time. So this is the part of it. I have to plan my life around it. And I think that's when it becomes something that if it starts affecting what you're doing, how you live your life and affecting the things that you want to do, that's when maybe you need to look at different ways of managing it if the way that you're managing it at the moment isn't working. So when we went to Tokyo and I have a prolapsed disc in my back, like only small, small, but sometimes it flares up if I play too much inverted guard. I'm aware of it. Like I just squash it back in with some extensions. And for some reason, uh, sometimes it kind of just flares up. I think it was sitting on the plane probably from Tokyo. And But I was also in that week suffering with really bad fatigue. And I'm like, mm. we're in Tokyo. I just need not this to like ruin our trip. And it was such such an amazing trip. But I had to pretty much nap off every afternoon. I had to go and just lie down and I just pass out and I get up and then we carry on. And that's the only, it's like pacing yourself. And it's nuts because Brad's just like, why don't we just keep going? Like, what what's the problem here? And I was like, I have to sit down. And to the point where such a strange feeling of like sitting up is making you feel really tired so this is when it's like it's most extreme that like just sitting in the chair like here now for a period of time I would be like literally my my old boss at uh, Kings used to say hanging off my ligaments where Mm. I would just be like because it was so effortful just to sit up and I'm like it shouldn't be like that that's not normal but then the next week it can be completely gone and I'll have 
like the most energy in the world. I could be like severely dieting, let's say, maybe I've just been overeating for a short period of time. This is another thing that is also kind of preventing me from doing certain things. So what's also linked to my spells of depression is binge eating. So I... Which, which again, like really, really common. Yeah. But, people come to eat is like one of the most common things but it's so for me it's really hard to admit that and i think yeah. that's also because of like being an athlete in sport and as a byproduct of being successful and being popular being a role model for people and then for me to kind of open up and say actually you know i struggle with a lot of things including this is like is having a real issue with food i've always had a massive issue with food and because of when i was younger i was always the bigger person in the class even though i wasn't big like i look back at photos of me now and i was like lean and skinny but still heavier than everybody else in my class because i, I wasn't you've got like quite an athletic yeah. physique but you're not you're not big no <laughs> no exactly and i i'm really proud of being an athletic person yeah. like now or during this week <laughs> but again being compared to people in school and particular girls who were just all naturally very much smaller than me or even if there was one bigger girl but she was confident in her body didn't even take much notice of that mm. and I was like yeah but she's really confident she doesn't have an issue yeah whereas I'm like why why are my wrists not half the size like this person's over here um so and then I would always be doing a lot so like I said I had horses I was always interested in sport I did judo when I was a kid would like super aggressive in judo and training and again only ever trained with guys when I went to compete with girls completely lost all my aggression and lay flat on the floor like a dead fish mm. um so then uh kind of played like some team sports like was always interested in football like played basketball for a short period of time realized I wasn't much of a team player but always like doing something always active and then had horses so was burning energy like it was going out of fashion yeah. so would eat a lot and had, you know, I've still now got a really kind of sweet tooth. And there would be times where I'd eat loads, but it would make no difference to me. I'm, I was a kid or whatever. And then you get to that age, I'd say about 25. Yep. Yeah, I got <laughs> Where there. I got you there. wake up in the morning in pain <laughs> yeah. and you can't eat everything that you want to eat anymore. You have to moderate it. And again, I, being completely polarized with dieting. So I used to work with Mike Lang for my, my um, nutrition stuff. And he was great. And he was like, Sam, it's pretty simple. Like, you know, your energy expenditure has to be more than the food that you intake, mm. basically. There's not really that much science behind it. But for me, it was about being accountable to somebody. It wasn't necessarily having somebody to tell me what to eat or how okay. many macros I need to eat in the day. It's for me to say, this is my weight this week. And he's like, okay, this is what we're going to tweak. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. It's the whole like accountability mirror. Whereas actually, in terms of that being sustainable, you have to be the person who is accountable you can't for yourself. really rely on someone. No. Because they'll always go. Do you know what I mean? They're never always going to be there. So if you can ingrain that you become the most accountable person for all of your actions and things, then it's obviously going to be much more sustainable. So um, I can cut the weight. I can restrict my calories to like 800 calories a day and train twice a day for like a couple of weeks. Completely unsustainable. Not not recommended to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I am Don't not do a nutritionist. Do Don't do that. It will mess up your metabolism, something terrible, and you'll develop a bad um, uh, relationship with food. Mm. So I would cut weight for competitions. So <laughs> one extreme example of this is World Snow Ghee. Brown Belt in 2015. I was fighting in medium heavy, which was 71 kilos. And um, Chico was over in um, LA with me. And he was like, have you considered dropping to middleweight 66.5? Because Jessica Oliveira is in it medium heavy. And she's a big girl and she's cut down to get there. And I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. At this point, I was walking around at 71 kilos. Mm. And the competition was like a week away or something. So Wait, and you had to cut down to what? 66.5. So I had to lose six kilos in a week. And I did it. And this was through like, yeah, exactly. How? I, 
so this was through a water load. Okay. Um, so the first time that I've ever water loaded. Um, and it's a horrible idea. With distilled water also. All and sound, not, this is literally like a, a deadly idea. Yeah, yeah. Really like extreme. Um, and you, you can kill yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then come the end of the week, just did a small bath, made the way, uh, smashed my two fights and became a world champion. However, <sighs> because it's water weight, yeah. then when I... I had such bad body dysmorphia because I was so skinny, yeah. so, so skinny. And then in two days, I was back up to like 70 kilos, 71 yeah. kilos, easily. And I was like, oh my God, this, this gave me such a horrible, horrible feeling. And it clearly really messed with my hormones, like for, I'd say, months after this competition. Really? So I had a really bad spell. I just became a world champion and I was lower than I could ever be. be and I, because... I also had the expectation that becoming a world champion would change my life. Yeah. I was still coming back to the gym and getting beat up by our juvenile blue belts. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Nothing really changes. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I know it is, it is an incredible thing and I'm not taking anything away from it, but nothing really changes in terms of like, was kind of expecting when it becoming a world champion to absolutely change my life. This is like your first, this was Brambo world champion, right? Yeah. This yeah. Is like so one the of first time first. I'd ever done world's no-gi. Yeah. Um, yeah, obviously cut a lot of weight in a short period of time. I mean, it didn't really take its toll on me in the week. Um, and I felt really confident going in. But afterwards, it was so it was such a hard time, a really hard time. And again, I think from that expectation of, oh, I've just won worlds, you know, like people are going to be one of sponsoring me and, you know, sending me free stuff and I'm going to be getting paid and everything's going to be so different. Yeah, no, it was completely the same. And I really mm. struggled with that. But also, I think with the water load and the water cut just made me want to be that person. But, mm. and then to completely change in the next few days and be a whole, what I felt like a whole different person. I felt huge. And I was like, oh my God, what on earth is like, has happened here? Like I've gone from this really skinny, beautiful person and feeling amazing. And I generally have this really weird warped perception that um, people who are much lighter and skinnier or even like very athletic women uh, have everything figured out in life, you know? And I, this is probably social media and everything that we're exposed to in that. Yeah. This girl that's got abs, like she looks so happy. So it's like, they, this people have other issues going. <laughs> on and not even anything that's you know linked to being skinny but for yeah. me if i could be that person right there it's 66 kilos who just won the world championship then my life would be set no sam it doesn't really work like this like do you know what i mean how can you base your happiness on a weight it makes no sense and yeah. i know that loads of women i read loads of articles and forums and like blogs of women who are struggling with their weight and stuff so this is such a common theme but this was like literally right down in the hole and yeah, a horrible experience. And then what happens is like, because it's such a bad way for you to lose that weight, you regain the water, but then you put on double, like, you know, way much more weight as well, because your body's just never really satisfied with what you're eating, that you can't be regimented. You, your kind of whole cycle of like feeling hungry in the morning and lunchtime and evening just is that completely from goes doing out the window. One, one week cut? Yeah, that was bad. Yeah, one week. So I mean, I was for, diet. Like, so you're, was, you're saying from doing a one week cut, your body rebounded re really yeah horribly it went like i vowed we, we almost just died we need yeah. to, we need to get some supplies exactly in. and it's wow. just all i'm all over the place and I'm, I'm unsettled and like again just negative and i'm like should be really happy i've just won a world championship like and then you, you feel know. guilty about not being happy that you've won worlds yeah and it's just a vicious cycle i had this, I had this conversation with uh Bralia actually when, oh, really? on, on the last podcast which i always get like a I don't get depression, but I always feel lowest after a fight. After, or after winning? Yeah, after winning after a winning. massive fight. Yeah, absolutely. The bigger it is, the worse you feel after. Yeah, because again, the, weird, the same expectation of yeah. like, yeah, I've just absolutely smashed. Whereas if I go and I fight my heart out, but I lose, 
I'm smiling. I'm yeah. happy. Do you know what? That person today was better than me. Doesn't mean that she's better than me overall. It just means today she's fought a smarter game than what I did. But if I go and I win, oh, what, what do I do? I don't, what do I do now? Do yeah. you know what I mean? I don't change anything. Like the same thing probably happened with Tamara. So I b- beat her in two weeks before in Spain. I didn't change the game to fight her in the Grand Slam because I just beat her. She yeah. did. Yeah. And she beat me with sure. the same game. This was what was nuts. So I played inverted from 50-50 to inverted close guard, attack the toehold. Again, she couldn't get out of the guard. She's got feet like rubber. She didn't want to tap to this toehold. But I got the advantage at the end. So we were 2-2. That's my advantage. In the Grand Slam, inverted close guard from 50-50. I've never seen her play it before in my life. She tapped she my foot. Game. She snapped my foot. Really? I was like, what is that? you wouldn't know this move if i didn't show you <laughs> but anyway regardless um but that was a bad one so i've had i've just come out of what i would say the hole recently i feel like it was kind of a little bit more rational because i'd lost the grand slam in london and i had quite a lot of pressure leading up to that in terms of people coming to ask for me interviews like you know i mean um flow grappling guys are usually pretty good they always have a catch yeah. up with me um but like abu dhabi tv were coming over they did filming in the gym like you know they wanted to have an interview with marco talk about stuff and i was like oh this is really cool I'm not equipped to manage this. I'm not a manager. I'm just an athlete. And I'm not saying that like I need a manager now because I have all this media and stuff, but it was really hard for me to contend with that. Yeah. Plus I'm still working as well. You know, I still work a part-time job. So trying to manage that, they're calling me whilst I'm at work. We need to do an interview with you tomorrow today. And they're pretty hassling. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And I, again, probably just need to be a little bit more blunt. Like don't call me at work. I'm busy. I'll arrange a time with you later and call up, but I have to deal with it. And I'm like, I don't want to. I just want to train. I want to train and focus on my competition and get on with it. So that built it up for me. They're like, you're in your hometown, Sam. Wow, how is it feeling? You can compete in front of everybody you know. Oh, thanks for that. <laughs> thanks for making this feel way more stressful than what, yeah. it, than what it originally was. And I struggled with it and I didn't cope with it. Again, it's coming down to that whole pool table and I, I can't pot the black. Now there's money on the table. Can't pot it. Like, don't put this pressure on me. So I have to take this pressure off. And Do you find that you operate it. worse under pressure then yeah absolutely I love being the underdog and I would so at Brown Belt this is why I loved Brown Belt Brown Belt going to fight the Brown Belt divisions you know I was absolutely tearing through I had nothing to lose go for it amazing now people are like oh Sam Cook's in the division and that's great but isn't it weird how that's what you want like I went through a phase where I was like why are flow grappling not coming to me for you know why am I not favourite I just won the Europeans four years in a row where yeah. they've not even mentioned me bloody blah, blah whatever then when it comes around Guys, leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, the, the problem that you get is it's always better to be the underdog mm. because for, when you're the underdog, there is no pressure. It's something that you don't even, even if you're very good at dealing with the pressure, it still takes an aspect of your consciousness and your energy and your, you know, it takes, it takes awareness for you to deal with that pressure. When the pressure doesn't exist, there's nothing to deal with. So you can focus all of that energy that you would be used on dealing with the pressure, on dealing with what you need to do. Yeah. Uh, the problem is, the better you do, the less you're the underdog. Yeah. Where it gets to the point where, I remember the first competition that I fought where someone said, and they actually said wrongly, they were incredibly ignorant of them, they're like, you should smash this. And I thought, I'm not going to smash this. Yeah. I'm going to get fucked up because the guys I'm going against are much better than me. Now I ended up, I did end up winning, which only made it worse, right? Yeah. Because now that guy next time fucking told you smash it. Yeah. You know, the next one I go to, you're going to smash that even worse. So you get to the point now where you will not be an underdog in many matches. Mm. And you're, you, you know, there's, there's a chance that you're, you, you, everyone gets to a point 
the elite, the most elite grapplers get to a point where they'll never be an underdog again, mm. realistically. Yeah. Or, or, or it's going to be, you're going to have to come across someone very, very good to, be, to become an underdog. So have you done anything to deal with that? Um, personally, it's, it's to do with my training camp, usually up to the competitions. So, um, and it, it also depends on, back around again, which personality is there. So at the moment, coming up to Abu Dhabi, I'm in a really good mental place in that I'm training hard. Um, I feel like I'm connecting things like we're learning. I'm learning a couple of new um, techniques now to go to it, but I'm still having fun in training. So I'm not, I can't be the person who is like, come to training, doesn't really speak to anybody, smash it, kill it, walk away or do my drills or whichever. I still need to, I'm still living day to day. I'm taking one day at a time and enjoying what I'm doing in that day. And also, I don't know, with the whole like me saying I'm going to like retire after like Worlds, I mean, what I'd really like is to be invited to ADCC as the first Brit to ever win a match in ADCC. You're all right. I would like. <laughs> You're all right. I tried. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? I should have been in the final. I got... <laughs> I'm, so, I'm trying not to become aggressive bitter. Like, I'm not at all. But I did take Talita Noguera down and it went out of bounds, but the rules are... It stays out. It's down. She's on her butt. I've got her two legs. They yeah. stop us. The restart us in the middle. Nothing. Yeah. I was like, either you put me back in the same position where I've just taken her down and I finished the takedown here, or you give me the two points for yeah. it. And they didn't, and then gave the decision to her. It was a decision. Yeah. So mm. it should have been me and Gabby Garcia in the final. So I think I just a, a shot. You, isn't there a part of you that goes, no, I'm glad we're <laughs> No, absolutely not. I, you know, as much as... Well, I wouldn't want to fight Gabby Garcia. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'd give it a crack again. Yeah, of course, I'm the of course, underdog. Of course, no, it's course. okay. Yeah, yeah. As long as I don't break anything, it's I think you right. always be an underdog against Gabby <laughs> But um, for me to say... So the reason I would like an invite is because I can't fight the trials this year because I'm in Abu Dhabi competing yeah. for the World Pro. Anyway, aside from that. So after, it's, it's the same as Fionn. Yeah, exactly. She should absolutely get invited. Insane. Yeah, absolutely get insane. invited. Yeah, um, I think I I think they will. I think they'll wait till after the European trials have gone. Yeah. Um, but they cannot. They they can't ignore her. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They and I'm pretty sure they'll get her on board. Um, well, you you were in over sixty six. Over sixty. Over sixty. Yeah, it's sixty above and below. Fuck. Which is also a bit nuts, you know. They really. I feel like now, <laughs> if they've got a big enough categories, and, and, and they only do eight women divisions, don't they? Is it only eight? Yeah. Okay. That's so how you would be. In, that's how the... you'd be in the final in two two fights, right? Okay. Yeah. I presume if they do it the same this year, I don't know because I beat I Finland be the final in Poland, and then they invited her after. Um, but I think it's because they were lacking some people, whereas now it's a lot more popular, and I think more trials women have fought. You know, people like Karina Santi, like um, Amanda. Lo, I can't remember her name. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I think they'll have a lot more women. So who knows? But it would be really nice. And then if not. Um, like I said, I feel like it's a control thing. It's for me saying, I'm gonna probably going to take a step back from competing. I go back to full-time working in June. I'm really looking forward to my, uh, you, my you job. You are doing that? Yeah. yeah, so I've just got a job at um, so like, so Bart's you, Health. So you, you, you've mentioned it a few times now. So for those who don't know, even though it may seem that you are a full-time jiu-jitsu athlete, you are not a full-time jiu-jitsu athlete. Yeah. You are a qualified physi- physiotherapist, yeah. and you've been doing that for... Uh, I qualified in 2008. I took a year off when I went training full-time from 2015. Well, you've been like sporadically between yeah. full-time, part-time, time off. Yeah. yeah. I make it work for me. And again, back to mentally, that fits much better in my head. So for me to, when I was, I actually think it's, I don't know, people talk about like the jiu-jitsu dream and being full-time, you know, and how sort of like, you know, how dedicated you are or how difficult it is like to, you know, to fully put everything into jiu-jitsu. I actually think that it's it's 
it's more um what's the word not like impressive more impressive to work full-time or people that juggle it you know some people have got kids and compete and some people work full-time or part-time and they do it's to me jiu-jitsu is a smart person's game yes you do have to be athletic and you have to be fit but if you train efficiently and you know you take responsibility for your learning you can learn whilst working full-time and train part-time the same as you can train in full-time you know yeah I don't think you necessarily need to be training full time. And when I was, it was too much for me. Like I, it wasn't sustainable that, you know, there would be like weeks, like I said, where I'd be sparring like twice a day. And by the time I got to Wednesday, Thursday, I'd be broken. I'm like, well, I could take a day off and actually work on these days. I could be yeah. doing something else with my time, which mentally for me fits a lot better. When I went to the world for the first time ever at Purple Belt, uh, I lost my first fight um, and I was training full time and it was really full on and it was catastrophic. I was like, I've given up my life for this. I'm clearly not that good. at. I didn't become a world champion. Like my expectation was completely different. And again, back down, like that's, I feel like that kind of response in terms of feeling pretty rubbish after that is rational. You're f- that's fine. Yeah. So had a bit of a rough time and, you know, talked to a few people about it. And I was like, for me, as a person, I need to not have all my eggs in one basket. They need to be in a few baskets, you know. So I have other things in my life that are going on that I can focus on. And don't get me wrong, I love jujitsu in terms of I do enjoy teaching people, but it's not really my passion. I'm in it for selfish reasons only. I love competing. Okay. I love competing and traveling most of the time. Um, And I do it because... I want to win. Do you know what I mean? And as much as I am part of a team and you can't basically win the competition unless you have people to train with and you have a team behind you, yep. it, in real honesty, it's about what I want to get from the sport. Um, whereas like, so for Bradley, it takes a lot from coaching. He generally really enjoys people progressing and learning and he takes so much like because he helps me so much with competition and training when we go to compete and if i do well he's so happy it's almost like he's one you know mm. i don't have that same feeling mm. um when someone else competes <laughs> it's fair enough. It's, you know when brad competes i i want him to do well like it's incredible it's amazing but i've not contributed to his journey there really quite sure. the same um whereas even if you know with some of the students that i teach if they go and compete you know i would enjoy watching it but again i don't get as much from it so, um, where was I going with this? Oh, so with my job, so I work in critical care. So I like to work with the sickest of sickest patients because I feel that's the area where I can help them the most. Mm. And I get so much from that. And it's that that gives me my self-worth and my self-esteem. And I very much kind of, my life, again, depending on which personality is there, is very regimented in that I like evidence base and I like, you know, the logical pathways for things and I like to be in control of it which is why physiotherapy as much as it's also, it's also down to your clinical experience and you know of different areas and different patients a lot of it is based on research clinical yeah. trials you know evidence based practice whereas jiu-jitsu is I generally feel probably a lot more for the creative mind um most of the techniques that I know have been developed from other people and brought together. It's never something that I've sat there and explored myself and been like, what happens if we go here? What happens if we do this? Other people who are very creative are, I think, more able to do this than what I am. Um, you don't consider yourself particularly creative? I don't think so, no. That's fair enough. Yeah. Some people are, some people are really logical and some people are creative. Yeah. Um, I think Bradley's the creative one. So I think this is where we kind of balance a mm. little bit. I'm much more like this, 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 this is, you know makes sense to me it's logical yeah he's more like well you know let's think outside the box and how about with this options or going here and i'm like that's not what we've talked about Mm. (laughs) do you know what i mean so we have those opposite sides yeah um so for me having jujitsu and work 
balances really nicely in my head. And it not, I don't think it's, sometimes you can kind of see it as more like a bit of a get out clause, I think, in that, well, if one's not going well, then you've still got the other. But that also helps with my mental state. And I'm, I'm happy with that. And I'm happy to say that I like having those two things. And I like having, if, you know, one thing isn't going so well, I'm still investing in something else in my life too. Works well for me. Yeah. Well, it, it just means that you're not I, um, identifying yourself as a grappler purely which i think some people do and for some people that's great they want to kind of they want to have that bound to them and they want to identify as a pure jiu-jitsu person and then that's absolutely fine and Mm. those people tend to be very successful at what they want to do if they have all the other attributes that add up to it but it's not for everyone yeah um i know i know i remember i spoke to you before you went back to work one time i can't remember when it was but it was a, it was a while ago and it was like the, the money issue as well yeah. like that lifestyle of a full-time grappler yeah. very often not particularly lucrative one no and some people are okay with doing that some people yeah. are willing to sacrifice um having nice things or going on holiday or you know doing whatever they want to do to as one of the many sacrifices that you have to make to be the best of the world but other people are not so willing to do that. Yeah. yeah. And for me, it wasn't... So I've done my, like, sleeping on gym floors. Yeah. And when I was telling you about my Crystal Palace story earlier, I was sleeping on the gym floor on LFF. Um, it would be very nice to you not make you tell that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so... And I've done that. You know, yeah. I've kind of roughed it. And we've stayed in really rubbish places, which have probably been a bit dodgy and stuff and whichever. And, you know... But now I've gotten to that point where I'm like, do you know what? I don't... I don't buy a lot of things. I don't own a lot of things. I living in London is expensive as it on its own, but in terms of like, you know, I'm not really one for like fashion or anything like this, but like, you know, I like to look nice, but it's not a super priority to me. Yeah. So now I feel like a lot of my funding does go on. If we're going to go on a trip, I want to stay in a nice hotel. Yeah. I want to have a nice bed to sleep in. You know, we, that's really important. You do travel to quite me. a lot by the sounds of it. Because you, yeah. you, you have to self fund yourself to all of these tournaments, don't you? Yeah. So yeah. you're like Rio, Japan, you're various european cities yeah yeah most of it and i don't want to rough it anymore that's not for me and you know that's fair enough i think but you know i don't have a car i don't have like you know all obviously like my expenses in terms of rent and bills and things like that are quite expensive in london but i cycle everywhere pretty much so and i think yeah i don't know i just don't i'm not i've never been materialistic it's always been more for me about creating the memories. I'd rather save up the money and go somewhere and have a week full of memories than I would, you know, just and own something. But that's because I've had to also choose between that. If I sure. had the money for both, then I'm sure I would buy probably, you know, a nice expensive watch or something. But to me, it doesn't really hold that much value. Sure. Um, yeah, we're more about the life experiences. So like any gifts or anything like this for people, the people that I care about the most, I don't tend to really buy them gifts unless it's like a smaller thing. I'd much rather us go and spend time together doing sure. something. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a nice way to look at it. Oh, uh, anyway, down, there's been many other things that people want to ask you. Oh, really? uh, one of the things that you mentioned earlier, which I didn't want to talk about, is your woman ours. Oh, yeah. How long have you been doing this for now? Woo, These are women you... seminars, if no one got that from Womanars, the name. Yeah. Womanars, yeah. It was so, between so like clever. Salmonar and Womanar. <laughs> oh. And I thought, well, Salmonar, it's not really Sam- about me. Salmonar you know is, I mean? is better, but it, it's making it about you. The other one was like Feminar, and I thought it sounded like a, like a feminine hygiene product. So I thought, let's go with Womanar. Feminar sounds like something that you'd use the mask a smell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Fem fresh. <laughs> so Please come to the seminar for your freshen up projects. <laughs> Maybe I'll get them to sponsor one. Who knows? A seminar is. Seminar. Uh, uh, yeah. But then I didn't good. want to make it about no, me. No, 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 I get that. I, mean? I, get that. I, I, think you, I think you went with the right choice there. Yeah. So, so this will be the 10th one now. I can't remember the first year that I started it, but it was at. Um, LFF, I think. Was that the original? Yeah. And I think there were like maybe. 
no more than 10 girls to start with. And How many did you get now? Um, the most, so the last one I did in Brighton, which was a little bit quieter, I think a change of venue wasn't the best option. And Fight Zone is also still a much bigger venue. Uh, so we had 34 women in the mat in Fight Zone for the wow. previous one. Um, yeah, that was the biggest one that I've hosted so far. I'm hoping this time to get 50. Wow. I think it's, I think it's a possible. It's definitely there. When 50% of tickets are sold already. May the 12th. Okay. And, uh. Where can they find it? Huh? Where can they find it? Uh, Fight Zone. Is in for tickets or? Yeah. Um, so on my Instagram page, the link's in my bio. That's Sam Cook BJJ. Yeah. At Sam Cook BJJ. At Samantha Cook BJJ. Yeah, it's on the Eventbrite on there that you can purchase the tickets. And it's I've always said that I'll always keep it at £20. It's never with a view of it. Um, it was never with a view of like making loads of money from it and charging loads more money. It was with a view of just it growing and the more women on the mat, the better. Yeah. But yeah, it's basically just a platform for women to come together. I show some of my techniques and a lot... We we, um, a lot of it's to do with uh, the women integrating with each other and coming from all different areas and because they women like to chat a lot you know yeah. <laughs> I mean people like to chat a lot but in, in particular when you get hate, women I together I hear you uh, stereotyping there no I know sure. <laughs> we just we got that one. <laughs> people like to talk a lot um <laughs> So yeah, that I feel is one of the most important parts and we always sit down at the end and we all do, always do a bit of a and a And I think that is also super important when people ask questions like, you know, this person it goes a little bit rough on me in class, how should I deal with it? You know, you're still a person. It doesn't mm. matter with hierarchy. If you're a white belt, he's a blue belt or he's a purple belt and you're a blue belt. Yeah. You're still a person. You still have rights to say, hey bud, you're going a little bit rough. If you continue to be a bit rough, I'm probably going to stop training with you today. That's it. You know, I think as women, we do need to set those boundaries in place a lot earlier and i don't know if this is just a jujitsu thing in training but we're a little bit passive aggressive on this and i'm guilty of it also in terms of like women or jujitsu or mm, i think jitsu jujitsu okay. as a whole yeah probably i feel maybe more so the women speak up now because men are notoriously not very good at speaking up anyway sure in stereotyping of, you know. again but that's okay Sam we're allowed if you're looking at kind it. of history in terms of like <laughs> <laughs> bullying or harassment and things yeah. like this um, anyway uh, yeah so I think we kind of like oh but he's a higher belt you know we can't say anything uh, you're still a person if somebody if you were in work with you know a colleague and they were speaking to you in an inappropriate way yeah. your best way to deal with inappropriate like behaviours is to deal with it in a timely manner and immediately regardless of hierarchy you know we've I've kind of learned this so I had a, a scenario with the consultants. So I was working in critical care. And usually um, at this particular hospital, we wore our own uniform and everybody else wears scrubs. And I had spilt tea down my uniform, so I was wearing scrubs. So we were talking about a particular spinal patient in terms of like a mode of ventilation for this spinal patient. Now, as physiotherapists, we are involved with like weaning uh, mechanical ventilation of that patient. And we look at very much evidence-based approach and neuromuscular weakness uh, patients are a high risk of developing like ventilator associated pneumonias and stuff because they're not breathing for themselves so sure. the, the air's not getting right down to the bases so yep. we we usually ventilate patients at six to eight mils per kilo if that makes sense yep. just going off on a physio tangent there and following just about. for your neuromuscular weakness patients we would advocate a higher tidal volume so that we're kind of a little bit hyperinflating the lungs so that we're ensuring that we're getting, you know, chest clearance and air into the bases to prevent like areas collapse and stuff. Now, I had said this to the nurse at the bedside and I was like, look, this is kind of the protocol that we're working towards now. Uh, there's a guideline called the risky guideline, which is like respiratory something in spinal cord injury. Anyway, um, and he was like, OK, great. So we'll, we'll just tweak up his tidal volumes to achieve this. Yeah, perfect. Then the consultant who was a bit notorious for being um, a douchebag. Yeah, female. 
not oh. male. Uh, hey, a little bit volatile. Females a bit. can be douchebags as well. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, had come, so I was in scrubs, naturally. So yeah. she, I think she thought I was a nurse. I was sure. in the next bed space and she absolutely just completely slated me and was like, don't listen to the physio. She's no flipping clue what she's talking about. We're not doing this, blah, 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 whatever. And I was like, okay, great. Thanks. Now I'm going to have to approach this. Even though you're a consultant, you pretty much work for yourself. It's not professional to speak to to me, uh, speak to uh, like another member of staff or a yeah. colleague about me in such a derogatory tone. You could say, "I know the physio has requested to do this, but I would like to plan to this." That's entirely up to them, and we come to a, a like a multidisciplinary team agreement. That's how you do it. Yeah. But basically, just completely slated me, and I was like, "Oh, bloody hell!" People who know me Here best know that I hate confrontation. Yeah. I'm really bad with confronting people. And, you know, I've gone to like fight zone for like, uh, you know, a few things that I want to talk to them about. And I just break down and cry, even though it's not it's not a bad situation. It's not negative, like necessarily. It's just like, I think we should be doing this. And I, I'm just absolutely fall to pieces. Again, depending on how I am mentally, sometimes okay. I can go in and I'll totally just, like you know, put my point across. It'll be clear, precise, bang, done. Outcome is what I wanted and I leave. Yeah. But otherwise, confrontation I really struggle with. So uh, it is time sensitive to deal with a behavioural issue. So I just was like, oh, hey, such and such. Do you mind if I just have a quick word? Yeah, sure. Kind of like flippantly. Off she went. Again, didn't know who I was because I was in scrubs. And had to then introduce myself and say, oh, hello, by the way, I'm Sam. I'm your physiotherapist that works on critical care here. Um, I'm aware that uh, you've just had a discussion with the uh, the nurse at the bedside regarding this patient. And I overheard and I'm um, upset with the way that you had um, basically explained how you felt, you know, that I, you know, was not capable of doing my job, blah, 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 whatever. Um, and I don't appreciate that. And if I, in future, if you could come and speak to me, if you have any concerns regarding this patient, um, then we can talk about it and discuss it. And she was literally like, taken mm. aback and kind of flippantly you know obviously she's a consultant like you know um they didn't really give a crap about what you think but flippantly just kind of brushed it off and was like oh yeah absolutely sure and then walked off and i was like great well done sam pat yourself on the back for dealing with that in such a great way um so the same thing applies in jiu-jitsu you know you're in the gym it's the same as in a commercial gym if somebody is in there doing something that you don't necessarily agree with or is treating you in a way or something that is affecting you you have a right to say something about it it doesn't matter that you know they're the owner of the gym or whichever if it's you know behavioral then you can say something like mm. there is a certain amount of hierarchy again within employment um but again it's knowing in terms of like professionalism and in terms of opinion or clinical experience or whatever fine you know then you it's you you still it it's still your um prerogative, yeah, prerogative to um you know, initiate a discussion about that. Absolutely, we should be challenging practice. We should be like, you know, no question is a silly question sort of thing. But anyway, going off on a tangent. So this is kind of what I, and I think it's having those conversations that maybe they might not necessarily want to ask their coach because they're a bit causing a bit of a problem or something like, yeah. you know, well, this guy's being a bit rough. Can you talk to him? Well, actually, no, you can just talk to him and you can say. And that's something that we're not very good at in jiu-jitsu. And maybe as male or female, do you know what I mean? Is in just saying during the role or whichever you're being a bit too rough on me right now or I don't like what you're doing or saying no to a person that you don't want to train with yeah. regardless if you're a lower belt or not you know there's a couple of people um, one of our guys in particular we kind of joke about it a little bit now but in the beginning he was he was a little bit too kind of explosive for me and I was like I generally feel a little bit at risk here in terms mm. of and I've said to him I'm not going to train with you and he obviously took it quite personally and then a couple of weeks later he was like why, do you, why are you not going to train with me and I was like honestly I, I think you're too rough you know, I don't think it's any benefit of me to train with you or for you to train with me. Um, and then we 
you know, we kind of like had a bit of a joke about it. And then since we've rolled and he's like, I, you know, I'm going to, we're going to have a technical role here. And I was like, great, you know, because we're all guilty of it. I, I'm guilty of it. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm guilty of wanting to punish people who are being too rough with me. Yeah. In particular, guys. And if I think this person is like, you know, Disgusting. just, <laughs> I'm just being honest. Disgusting. It's being too rough. Then I will equally be just as rough. Yeah. And, you know, and that's my ego. That's actually, that's actually, it's, it, but that's also one of the nicest things in jiu-jitsu, right? What, that you can beat up the person that's trying to beat you up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally. <laughs> well, yeah. That's like, right? <laughs> I can't do it to that many people. Uh, I know, but it's so sweet. You just yeah. be like, you know what, you're being a dick. Let's do it. But there are a lot of people, and yeah. you know, obviously genetically, men are stronger than women. Thirty percent stronger. I believe this the words <laughs> I'm hearing coming out of your mouth. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. You know, if it's it's going to be hard for a woman to be able to, it may be hard in a certain situation for her to be able to even use her technique on somebody who's potentially being a bit rough and a bit strong with them. Yeah. So then that's when you have a right to say. And this is one of the, I think, the most important things about the woman are and again when we're coming back to women only classes in maybe we can catch people early on and say you know you have a right still to say something you don't have to accept this you know blah blah blah, whatever i had a girl come to me in my nogi class um and she had asked about she was like this guy literally picked me up and slammed me and i was like okay that's not that's not actually legal um and she was like but what's the etiquette what can i do about it and i was like absolutely you can say something to him like now you know that it's illegal you can use that but i said but equally if somebody's hurting you and it's not necessarily like a a normal submission or whichever you can still tell them you can still say like you know you're actually about to break my ribs here or whichever i don't know and just just create those boundaries in place rather than feeling really rubbish about it, coming away, going to the change room, having a big moan with everybody. They're like, oh yeah, did you roll with this guy? Yeah, he's really rough. Oh God, like, you know, it's... and I was like, did anybody tell him? Maybe he doesn't know, you yeah. know? Maybe, you know, maybe he feels like you're going too rough. It's yeah. the same the other side. Do you know what I mean? Like I've had a couple of guys um, who have escalated to or spoken to a female colleague and said like, this girl in particular is quite rough with me. And, you know, I felt like, not necessarily he had to teach him a lesson or, you know, felt like I had to go rough back because she was being so aggressive. And yeah. I was like, well, one of you kind of has to be the bigger person here. Mm. Like, either you, you know, you, you're still doing it in a controlled manner or you speak to her and you yeah. say, I think you're being a little bit aggressive. Obviously, it's quite difficult, I think, for that conversation to happen. But I do think these are the way, this is the way that we're going to start to, change it in terms of training with each other um rather than us you know kind of escalating and being like well you know there's one coach that's looking after i don't know 50 students on the mat he needs to be watching everybody and telling people off if they're doing things wrong no i think that the coach is there to kind of set a precedent and a standard and how they train and they roll with people is should then usually is carried over do you know what i mean and kind of like the respect between each other but we we speak up for ourselves like we're responsible for ourselves yeah i i do agree at the same time I actually quite like people coming and telling me. I understand if if someone can say something to the person that they're rolling with, if they have a problem with them. Mm. But if they can't, tell your instructor. Yeah, yeah. I actually quite, especially when it comes. No, but I think about some of our classes, and if all the people had some problem with something, and they all came to Marco, he'd literally wouldn't have the time of day to. <laughs> to well, maybe if you're not in like one of, the, one of the biggest classes, one of the biggest academies in the country. Yeah. But uh, if you're not in one of the biggest, <laughs> if you're not a fight zone, then. Uh, then, uh, but that's I, why I think I always people tell like my us. students to come and tell me because it's easier yeah. for it's, it is easy, it is easier for an instructor to keep an eye on an individual and see how this person rolls. Even just like, can you watch him roll with me? I think he's being a bit of a dick. And we're like, and it might just be a case of that I need to roll with him and say, you need to relax. Yeah, like you because re- sometimes it's as simple as that. Like they have no 
real control over their output and someone needs to roll with them and say you're actually going to be better at jiu-jitsu if you tone it down if by about 300 percent yeah you know but um absolutely and maybe coming from the person that you're rolling with in particular if it's a lower belt they're probably not gonna be like well what do you know do you know what i mean i understand yeah. that yeah. yeah but then also you know we do have people like me and other black belts and people who've been there for a long time who also can can take that on board do you know what i mean not not just as like the main instructor but when there's such a busy class i would hope that if the women were having a problem they could come to me and say oh sam like i feel like this guy's being a bit of a douchebag like what do you think and and you know probably i would have trained with them and had a bit of a gist and an idea as well um but this is kind of just what i reiterate in the woman ask yeah so do do you find yourself as one of the best grapplers in the country do I, do I find myself... No, no, as one of the best grapplers in the country, and uh, especially as one of the top women in the country. In fact, if we say England, you're the best woman in England, right? <laughs> okay. We'll say that. I say Fionn's the best in the UK, but you're the best in England. Um, that you're like an inspiration for, for many women all across yeah. the world, probably. Definitely in Europe, definitely in the UK and in England. Mm-hmm. You're an inspiration as one of the people who's kind of lead in the forefront of women's grappling. Um, do you feel that responsibility? Yeah. And isn't that a bit nuts when you think about it in terms of like with us in a sport when I'm not running to be a like a politician or a mayor. I'm not, you know, trying to say that I'm the best person to be an advocate or a role model for this. I'm just competing and becoming more famous by competing. And then as a byproduct of that, somehow I become a role model, too. Yeah, I think it is crazy. But I I also and there are athletes out there. If you look at some high-level athletes that don't uh, carry themselves with the sort of dignity and respect that you would expect from a role model, and a lot of them would turn around and say, well, I don't want to be a fucking role model. Mm. I never chose to be a role model. I'm not a role model. Fuck off. Don't let your kids watch me. You know, Which is a reaction that a lot of people have. Mm. But at the same time, I think, actually, if you want to be an athlete, um, that's part of the price you pay Mm -hmm. is that you are going to be in the spotlight and if you are in the spotlight whether you like it or not actually you may have to set an example Mm. because people have you know if if you're in the if you're in the public view then it may be a chance that you are are inspiring people and if you're inspiring people you may have to act as a bit of a role model so um don't compete or suck it up and do it properly. It doesn't have to be just competition, though. Do no, you but it can, can be become anything. a legend from like teaching or like oh yeah, no, it can be anything. It can be anything but... but yeah, absolutely. And I, but I generally believe that there's a difference between those people who generally look for that those kind of powerful roles and choose that yeah. and want to be a leader and want to be listened to etc I know a few people who are like this. You know, they want to be respected, and I want to be respected, but respected for what I'm doing do you know what i mean not mm, hard to explain that um well you haven't gone searching for power no it's not my choice to kind of tell people how to live their lives or what they should be doing because but the influence has fallen upon you because of what you've managed to achieve and especially especially the fact that not only are you a very successful grappler but you are you are at the very front of um european and especially uk women grapplers Mm. like you're the first generation to find adcc and the first generation to win world titles and you're going to the mundials that we still never had a we've never had a world champion uh mundials world champion adult in any gender no you know and very very few in even other belts but a black belt there's never been any so you'll be going and you you came second or third third last third last time so you know possibly on the where did fion come 
Did she fight what? Was she in a black belt? She lost the final, I think. Yeah. No, did she fight last year? I don't know. But you're at the forefront of... She's going to win it this year. Of, yeah, probably. Probably. Sure. Probably. But I, I, I got you. I reckon you win it. <laughs> that would be nice. That would be nice, right? That would be nice. Uh, but you guys are at the forefront of uh, women's, women's jiu-jitsu. Mm. So I think that actually there are a lot of people to pick from in men's jiu-jitsu. Yeah. There's a lot of current athletes. There's a lot of former athletes. But for a woman in the sport in the UK, there's a handful of women to look up to. Yeah. And you're one of them. I think that's been quite a steep learning curve for me to experience having got my black belt. You know that there becomes a lot of responsibility from it in terms of how you conduct yourself in the gym. But it also kind of spills over into your personal life or, you know, the choices that you make or who you choose to represent or whichever. And I, But I think if you're a good person, people know that you're a good person. You can't please everybody. Everybody's going to have a different view and a different opinion on something. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Why are you smiling? Because I'm just thinking, like, I was thinking of all of my haters, which I do love. Yeah, I do, love do you know what I mean? Do like, you have any haters? Um, probably. I, I oh, great, actually. I have to, some great ones. There was a couple of people who spoke to, without naming names of even my friend, a good friend of mine, who said that I was um, arrogant and a bit of a, a dick, really. And I was like, have they met me? Because Wait, this is a friend of you? No, this is, okay. the, they told a friend, a close friend of mine that, yeah. you know, oh, why why do you either hang out with this person or whichever, you know, because she's a bit of a dick or whatever. And yeah. I was like, and she told me, like, we were, it was, um, we were away competing um, and uh, like just having like a couple of glasses of wine after the competition or whichever. And she was like, oh yeah, like this person said this to me. Didn't tell me who they were. So I have no sure. idea who they were. Uh, I mean, I've never forgotten it in my life ever. <laughs> but I was so shocked by this. And I thought, how can somebody have a such a what I feel like a complete different idea of who I am in comparison to what like kind of what social media says I am or you know when I talk to people I'm the person who if I pass you at competition I will always say hello I will yeah. always ask how people are I may not remember your name I'm very bad with names but I'm we always like hey people. how's yeah. everything going amazing are you competing today yeah even if I'm competing I'm not the person that's like no I can't speak to anybody that actually relaxes me and makes me be in the moment and sure. I enjoy it whereas some people uh, for example, Brad doesn't like to talk to people before competition. We barely speak. If he's competing at the same competition I'm competing mm. at, we barely speak. And th- and I'm happy with that because I'm used to it now. And that's his way of being like, I need to focus right now. This is about me. And I'm like, that's great. And a lot of people think he's very arrogant. Um, and a lot of people have um, kind of said this. And it, it's very polar opposite. The people that know him and really know him know that he's he's literally the, like this, one of the softest people ever. And he, yeah. He's got a very big heart and... Um, yeah, he's generally a really, really good person. And But the people who don't know him and only see him at competition when he's in that zone and he's not speaking to people are very much like, oh, well, he's a bit of a dick. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, isn't that crazy how we just judge people immediately? Yeah. And I've learned from that. And I know now, like, so um, I went and spent some time in Malaga with Amelia and Santiri. And I didn't really know Santiri that well or Amelia for that fact. Yeah. And I was like, these are just very beautiful people, you know. <laughs> and she was like, come and stay with us. Like, super, so friendly, literally opened a door and I was like, I mean, so we were hanging out and chatting and I realised that she is like one of the most relaxed, loveliest people you'll ever meet. Like will will go above and beyond to make you feel comfortable, but in a very like genuine way. Yeah. And um I was like, Amelia, her is is Sam Terry really grumpy or and she was like oh no no like everybody thinks he's really grumpy he doesn't really smile she's like that's just him like yeah. that's just how he is and I was like oh, I don't know like maybe he doesn't like me I said because obviously him and Brad have fought as well okay um 
And so, I d- but they don't really speak to each other that much. And I was like, I don't know if they like like each other. And then um, when I met Santiri, like just a like generally nice guy. I mean, he just doesn't really smile that much. But yeah. on the outside, I was like, this guy's really arrogant. I don't, you know. Yeah. And then I was like, but she's really nice. I don't, this is such a strange like mix up. And then obviously having met him, again, just very relaxed, but very, very comfortable with themselves, you know. And yeah. And I thought, man, like, people have got this, or I have got this all wrong. I immediately have this impression of you because you're not very smiley. And because I am very smiley. And Amelia is also very smiley. And uh, that I thought he was, you know, completely arrogant. And that's kind of how people see Brad. Um, and it's interesting. But I don't know how people get that just from me. Do you know what I mean? I don't think there's, there's really not many occasions where people see that side of me. Brad will see that side of me when I'm like volatile and, you know, the depressed or feeling grumpy and miserable and snapping at him and I don't understand the technique and you know he gets it because the, he's the closest person to me yeah um but nobody else really sees it I don't think well at least you're not holding on to this one person who said that you were no not at all <laughs> how, how long ago was this as well um this was in Paris competing in Paris only last year you know the picture that you posted Oh yeah. When I won the double gold, yeah, that was yeah. when I found out that this person said I was arrogant and not a very nice person. Look, this one person, how many haters com- do you have? I want to confess that um <laughs> Is it you? you know, it was just a bad time for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have great ones. I have great ones. But I have a lot of um internet stuff, so people have funny comments on my internet yeah. stuff all the time. But yeah, it's great. People think that they you you'll have to try harder to upset me. They have yeah. some great ones. After I fought after I fought ADCC, uh there was a fake uh Facebook account. Oh, of yours of you yeah, yeah. Uh, first name Rosbury Ape surname is a fag <gasps> uh, that was um, and I did a video of me like crying in the shower after reading it uh, but obviously just brilliant I literally thought that I made it I like qualified for ADCC for an ADCC I was like I'm still tr- still trying hard to get into this game and I was like oh someone's made a fake Facebook account <laughs> I've made it I mean, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've got become loads. so popular I've got haters I've got loads I've got loads they're great no way yeah there was one on uh, Reddit who is brilliant, who mm. just seemed to hate everything about me and Mill Hill and everything to do with it. But then um, I, 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 so I did like a Reddit, uh, ask me anything. Yeah. And she started commenting on that and bitching about me. Uh, and then I, because I, I don't know who she is. She might be listening to this. Yeah. I she is. <laughs> Probably. Uh, but she trained at RGA and she like, I, 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 the other comments that she'd made, She'd really slagged off Mauricio and she'd slagged oh. off a load of the instructors at RGA. And then she was saying something about uh, the Polaris guys uh, shouting up, you know, when I fought Jake Shields and the, some of my guys got drunk and shouted obscenities. Oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, I can't believe how disgusting they were. How disrespectful. Like, Wait a minute, aren't you the girl who uh, is talking shit about your instructor's your dad? And she just deleted her account, deleted all of the messages she ever posted. But I'm still looking for you. <laughs> I'm still looking for you. I'm going to find you. Oh, my God. I'm going to find her one it's day. probably somebody that, you know. But there's loads. There's loads. I had one the other day, which was like um, on my on YouTube, on the podcast with Kurt Osiander. Yeah. Did you, did you ever listen to that? Yet, it's really no. funny. He gets really drunk and really high. Uh, not my fault at all. But I was like, I'm not going to stop him. That's how he wants to live his life. Yeah. And um, they were like, uh, I don't like this interviewer. He's very tricksy. <laughs> Never trust a man. No way. Never trust a man who won't drink with someone else or probe him. I'm like, 
<laughs> Imagine I got as shit faced as Kurt did on that podcast. It would be a fucking disaster. But... <laughs> and it was live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I That's kind of the only bit that I've ever experienced. Again, I don't look for it personally, but I'm very much like, I don't I don't comment on stuff on like people's things. Like I don't enter into any. There's, there's yeah. some stuff that absolutely outrages me, but yeah, I don't I enter don't into it. Really I'm never going to be that person. And maybe because I am such a nice person and people don't really know me, but I'm happy about that. They also don't have that much to kind of comment on. But then equally, sometimes I play it a little bit safe in terms of with my opinions or things that, you know, I don't know, I I feel strongly about or I don't feel strongly about. My problem is, is that I am on the fence a lot of time with a sure. lot of things because I... And again, it's kind of down to, I can feel very strongly about something. And I think, no, this is, this is absolutely not acceptable. And then I will listen to somebody. I'm, I'm very open and yeah. I've listened to a lot of people and I don't like to impose my ideas necessarily on people. I get them for myself. If people want to hear it from me, I'll tell them. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, okay, well, this is how I feel about it. And then I talk to a couple of other people and I'm like, it's never black and white. It's never, you know, unless it's like, you know, somebody murdered somebody on the floor and you watch them do it. Like, yeah, they killed them, you know. That's but he might have had a good reason to do it. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Do you know what I mean? And I'm never, I don't like to judge people in terms of like their choices or what they decide to do. There are certain things that I don't respect. Like um, there's a certain competitor that I can think of that I don't necessarily agree with what she's doing in terms of like, collecting a lot of default medals and okay. kind of publishing this and but that's her choice i'm sure. never gonna say to her or call her out on it and be like this is not cool do you know what i mean because she's gonna be like well well done like, i don't really give a shit what you think about it yeah. and that's just how there's, i choose to nothing, live my life there really isn't nothing anything more pathetic than arguing with people on the internet oh god yeah i would never yeah. enter there's, there are literally some things that absolutely outrage me and i'm just like who so, cares yeah, i don't yeah who cares anyway sam cook what's next for you in terms of quitting retiring <laughs> It's a control thing. It's me saying, I don't have to compete if I don't want to. Okay. Well, you don't have to compete if you don't want to. No. But I'm I'm also this person who is always, um, when I'm in a good mental state and I have my right mind on, I'm always looking to achieve. I'm always trying to work towards better, whether it be clinical practice in work. I'm always trying to find out what the most recent evidence is or the most research on this topic or that topic. A, because I like to be in the know. Yeah. And B, because... You know, I'm always pushing for better and I'm willing to challenge those things. You know, I'm willing to kind of bring to practice. Um, I've been in a bit of a tricky role at the moment. So I'm in a part time post, um, which was a pilot role in the hospital that I'm at in the minute. And they brought it in because they needed somebody to kind of basically manage their critical care. Um, so historically, within uh, physiotherapy, you have different areas like respiratory, neurology, musculoskeletal, orthopedics, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm a respiratory physiotherapist and within this hospital, usually the respiratory physiotherapist will run the critical care units. Basically, they manage that and you have different levels within that. Physios rotate in, get skilled up, rotate back out. Um, So I'm static in critical care. Uh, But this hospital that I've been working in recently, it's a new post in that all their therapists are all neurophysios. So I've come in as a res- the sole respiratory physio to try and run the critical care unit. Yeah. And it's been um, a really interesting and a really good learning experience for me. It's basically having to develop a whole service, which is not really the problem, but it's not really being that well supported from higher up. 
So then if you don't have the support from higher up, there's yeah. only so much I can do. Yeah. So um, the post is coming to an end anyway. Um, it does go into a full-time post, but I was at this point where I wasn't really sure what I was doing, whether I wanted to apply for a full-time post there. And then I realized this is probably too much for me to be taking on as a sole person without support from above, you know? I can't feel like I'm coming to work every day at the bottom of a mountain. Sure. I need to at least be making some steps. So which is why my next job is within a hospital with an already established respiratory team within critical care. And slightly different area. It's like cardiology and oncology, critical yeah. care. Um, so, how did I get onto this topic? Don't know. Wow, You've got what me. What are we talking about? <laughs> what you, yeah. We were talking about what was next. Yeah. I'm really close to the microphone. <laughs> That's fine. Um, uh, but why, why did we get there? I don't know. It's left me. Anyway. Control. Probably control. Control. I think to summarise, I'm probably a bit of a control freak at times. Yeah. Other times I can run with it and... I feel like as I'm getting older, I've become more, definitely more controlling. And the link with like anxiety and worry and stuff is definitely an age thing. It's not, I never used to worry about anything when I was younger. I oh, wouldn't really? really care. Now I go through phases of, again, not caring for a couple of weeks. And then there might be two weeks where I really struggle with who I am and where I'm going and what I'm doing. And you know, when you're talking about like identifying as a jiu-jitsu person, such, it's been such a big part of my life and yeah. I've almost hidden behind it for a lot of things. So I, I'm a social person at times. I My closest friends live all over the place at the moment. Um, they're all eventually kind of like moving back to Bristol. Um, so I don't see them that frequently. I'm not really one to hang out in a big group of girls. Um, I really struggle in that kind of environment because I just don't know really where I fit into that. And I've sure. always been like, I need to go to jiu-jitsu. Yeah. I can't come out this weekend. I can't come to your, maybe not your wedding, but <laughs> I can't do you know certain things because I have to go train. And maybe I've hidden behind that for a lot. And it kind of scares me to be able to then remove that and almost lead like a normal life of like somebody who works nine to five again. This would be in the scenario where you stop competing in jiu-jitsu. So much, yeah. And it worries me because I'm always looking to, that's how we got into it, because I'm always looking to achieve something. And I don't know, I thought this maybe yeah. was London life. I don't know whether it's living in London and living in that fast pace where feeling like you always have to be stepping up the ladder. I'm pretty much at the highest point in my physio career right now. There's not much higher I can go apart from management. So work's always going to be there for the rest of my life. I understand that. And jiu-jitsu competing is not necessarily. Um, I think you've still got a lot. I, th I think you've still got many years. I at the top know. of the game. Yeah, but then what about... I also have a biological clock. Take okay. It. What happens if, you know, at some point I want to have a family? Bradley. That's fair enough. <laughs> Shit, Brad's like, a, no. Real. <laughs> no, do you know what Brad, I mean? I mean, Brad loves right kids. Now. Brad would have kids now. He doesn't really, you know, he's... he's I don't know. There's no kind of like limitate. Nothing will ever stop him from doing anything because yeah. the, my mind says, no, that's not possible. Like blah, 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 whatever. His mind goes, of course, why yeah. not? Um, but he's always been, he's probably much more kind of like that family orientated than what I am. You know, we're, <laughs> to me, I'm kind of just putting it off for as long as You can possible. have kids and still do jujitsu. Yeah, you can. You get like, um, you get like, uh, like mum strength. Mm, that's uh, legit old lady thing. strength no no it's a legit thing because <laughs> you it? get like a massive hormone it's like you're on steroids no way funny because yeah. obviously before that all your everything goes really lax and kind of like stretched and yeah no 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 you um i'm pretty sure that's like a proven thing after oh you have God. kids you become stronger what have i been doing i just maybe that you know 
Now's, it, now's the time. Now's <laughs> but you know, I mean, that's a really Bradley, frustrating get, thing. Get ready. <laughs> Poor Brad. Sorry, Brad. <laughs> but that's a really like frustrating thing for me to have to think about that. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to. I live, I've always lived my life by my own rules. You know, if work was stopping me from doing something, I left my job. If something, if, you know, living in Bristol wasn't getting me towards my goal, I moved to London. Like I've always... Can't do that with kids. No, exactly. And th- that is such a huge thing for just me. Just imagine you, you've got this, you've got this like six month old baby, like... I'm moving to I'm sorry, I just think <laughs> you're just really toxic in my life yeah. right now. I'm just gonna- you got to move away for a little I'm bit. I'm going to put you in the freezer. Get you to call out for a little bit. You know, yeah, it is a huge step. And it does, it annoys me that I have to think about this. I mean, people do have children. That was not what I was expecting. A lot like, later on. Like, what? So what's your competition goals? I have a, bi- biological, <laughs> I have a biological clock, Daniel. <laughs> but it's true. But then I talk to friends who aren't even in relationships, you know, like, and yeah. still trying to date people. And they're like, you know, Sam, I'm like, you know, early 30s. You've got nothing to worry about. You're potentially in a stable relationship where, you know, you could bring a family into this cruel world. But... You know, I have to be prepared and ready to do that. So, and I'm not saying like this year is, you know, I'm gonna, like, you know, <laughs> we're only just moving. I'm living in a shared house. I mean, we're, we're moving out. It's great. So Brad and I, I feel like moving more towards adulting life and we're renting our own place in London. Uh, next week we move out, which is, which is, yay. I'm happy about that. It's yeah. good. Um, I'm so sick of sharing with random people who are just like incredibly messy. And, Fair enough. But uh, so, yeah. And obviously he's uh, younger. So there's a bit of an age gap between us. Um, but I don't know. We're just figuring it out as we go along. So as much as I say like, oh, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Don't listen to anything. Yeah, because that's kind of what I'm thinking. It may not. Yeah. Are you just saying that because you've always got that option? Yeah. Okay. And again, I think it is just a control thing. I do get tired with feeling like I have to always be preparing for something. I always have sure. to be restricting something. Or, But actually, I live life much better like that. Yeah, okay. If you give me too much freedom, I won't you need make the, the most schedule, of it. Yeah. yeah. I like regimented. I like making the most out of my time. Do you know what I mean? It, some days if I have a day off, I'm like, think of all the hours in the day I've got. I'm going to get up at 6.30. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then you do fuck all. But if like, I'm not competing, yeah. I don't do it. Yeah. I, I might go to training in the evening, but in the daytime, hours disappear of me sat watching Netflix or, you know, reading a book or scrolling through social media or whichever. Mm. I like to be always doing something. So then I think, well, if I'm not competing, what am I going to do? Mm. <laughs> and I can progress in my job, but there's only, you know... Uh, what what about doing things in jiu-jitsu? I, I, it's interesting because I don't think I've ever heard anyone, and it's really cool to hear you say it, that not that you don't care, but for you, jiu-jitsu is your journey. Whereas for a lot, and, and I think the only way, the way, reason that you can do that is because you have another job. Mm. Because a full-time jiu-jitsu athlete, in the UK anyway, a full-time jiu-jitsu athlete is an instructor as well. Yeah whether that's classes, privates, or seminars, you have to teach as well. So it's very rarely that people can be, I'm a full-time, you are essentially a full-time jiu-jitsu athlete who does all of the athlete bit and none of the teaching bit because mm. you have a job to do that. Mm. So I do teach a class. No, I know you yeah. teach a class, but, but you know, yeah. you, it, it's not a massive part of your, no. uh, of your life like it would be for most other full-time jiu-jitsu people. I don't, mm. I, I don't necessarily like full-time jiu-jitsu athlete. Yeah. Like you are full-time jiu-jitsu. That's like teaching or coaching or whatever yeah your livelihood um, is jiu-jitsu so for a lot of people i think outside of competing there's still a lot of things in 
the grappling world for them to do. Whereas for you, that might not be the case. No. I mean, don't get me wrong. Eventually, so obviously, it's Brad's dream to open up his own gym. His whole life is jiu-jitsu. He takes so much from coaching as well as competing, you know. Um, and obviously, his, that's all he's known. He's such a creature of habit. Whereas I've really struggled with having consistent things in my life uh, because I'm a bit volatile at times. So jiu-jitsu has always been consistent in terms of, but I took nine months off. And then I do take breaks. So like the other week I took two weeks off. It was to heal my foot and heal my mind, basically. Yeah. The two things. But it's still always going to be there. I've invested way too much time now to, yeah. to, to ever turn my back on it. But other than that, I mean, physio world will always be there. I'm a qualified physio. That's that's for life. But I don't know. Everything else I'm I'm can be very volatile and I like to change things a lot. So I've moved every year in London. Every time I've lived here, I move. And it, again, it's a control thing. So when I have anxiety, I look at houses okay. that I can't afford to buy. Sure. And this, 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 makes, this comforts me, but yeah. it also makes me like, I need stability. I need stability. I need to have, I need to buy a house. I need to have this. I need to do that. I need to have stability. And then the next week I'm like, I need to leave the country. I literally need to go and leave the country and go to Tokyo and do this. And I'm like, and I, I struggle with it. So poor Brad, like, who is very much a creature of habit and very level in terms of his patterns, you know, his routine, he likes, he doesn't like moving. He doesn't, you know, it took me a long time to even get him to come to move to London, which I understand. Like he loves Birmingham. His life's there. His family's there. All his friends are there. It was a huge step. Took a long time. I got there. (laughs) but you know he and then we he was kind of part living with me when I was southeast London in East Dulwich and he'd found his coffee shop that he likes to go to and his barbers and then I'm like we're moving and he's like okay where where are we moving to Sam I'm like we're going to move closer to the gym I like I don't like to commute yeah I like to be able to cycle to wherever I'm going to 30 45 minutes whatever and the rest of it is uh, you know closest that I can walk or cycle to because I don't like minutes cycling yeah Um, (laughs) I love cycling that's close bad because I had a really bad bike accident so it's it's taken me like oh, yeah. since uh, my uh, Harry Potter scar. Yeah. <laughs> since this was in 2012, no way. To only last year to get back on and buy a bike and actually get back cycling again. Your your chances of dying on a bike are significantly more than on an aeroplane. For yeah, the next time you get on an aeroplane, mm-hmm. if you've cycled around London for a year, you're unlikely to die in a plane crash. Yeah, <laughs> if you haven't died already. <laughs> I'm not near death experience. I've actually had a lot of near death experiences. We can talk about them if you like. <laughs> Yeah, They're on. really random. Anyway, uh, what was I saying? Yeah, so him being a creature of habit and me being volatile, um, when I kind of get itchy feet and change things, this is what worries me about having a family. What if I'm like, no, you have to go. I want a new child. I mean, people say, you know, it's unconditional love for your kids. I don't know. I don't know if this is if this is going to be right. What if one day I'm like, why did I do this? I'm, I'm tired. I don't know. Or, or I'll just run with it. Who knows? Um, but these things worry me. Hopefully you'll run with it. <laughs> Or maybe I just won't have kids. I don't know. I think we probably will. I don't know. Um, But yeah, anyway. So uh, what was I saying? Yeah, so every year in London, uh, I would have moved. So I was, when I originally came here, I was um, supported by Shoyro and Tone, um, which who has been like absolutely amazing. So I was staying in the Shoyro studio um, whilst kind of working for them and training at LFF. And that was a great studio. I mean, most of the time I'm sleeping on a mattress on the floor, but can't complain. And then moved to north london in my own place and this is when i went kind of back locoming temp working and loved that up there but then again got it to feet and moved and moved the next year and then have now moved again and now i'm moving again but i think i'm hoping that i've kind of settled down but i don't know 
whether it's just society that's like, oh, you need to buy a house. We're one of the only countries in Europe that buys their houses because yeah. we have really shit renting rights. Yeah. So I was talking to a friend of mine who lives in Amsterdam. She said, oh, no, we can, we've got much better renting rights. We can rent our apartment for five years. They can't kick us out. Because, you know, how can you go into rented if you're going to have a family and then maybe let's say one day you and your three kids or whatever have to up and move out the house because the landlord wants to sell it. There's yeah. no security behind it. We're like, oh no, you have to buy a house. It's so expensive to buy a house. I don't know if I yeah, ever get to buy a house, you know? Yeah. And I guess, um, I don't know. I'm just going off on tangents now. I was going to talk about marriage then. I'll let you go for it. <laughs> That's what you're here for, right? Um, yeah. So I don't know how I got into the topic of me being so volatile. Doesn't even matter. It confuses me. I get lost here. My short term memory is really bad. <laughs> My long term memory is equally really bad. Uh, stability houses looking at houses this is so weird like i'll like diligently go home and be like scrolling on right move oh, this is a nice house i could buy a house at cheltenham so i used to live in cheltenham for three years when i first graduated as a physio i love cheltenham it's such a nice area but it's tiny yeah it's tiny so i think about us like opening a gym there and because i'd still like to work part time this is how i got into it brad would like to open a gym i would obviously like to support on that i think we have something to offer as two yeah. black belts in the uk you know we've both been active competitors for a long time High level, um, yeah. hopefully we've gained quite a lot of experience by teaching you know um for gyms and stuff and what have you and then eventually i think that would be quite a nice life but it, i would think i would still work part-time because i enjoy that side of it i don't mm. get as i think it might be different you know it's like when you have your own family or you have your own business you're much more invested I feel like when you have your own business, it's like having a child. You can't take a day off. You yeah. know, you're fully invested in that because it's what you've created and you get a lot from that. And I'm sure that's what a lot of people feel, you know, how Marco feels about his gym. There's over a thousand members in that gym now. Like it's huge and it's all created by them. They must yeah. be so super proud of such a successful gym. Um, so I think you start to get different things back from it. Yeah. So there are avenues. It's not like I'm going to just stop training and not, you know, be invested in it. I would potentially probably still like to balance life later on. Um, and then once the gym's really successful, then I won't work at all. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I'll have a dog. <laughs> I feel like you've made it in life if you have a dog and you have your own place so that you could have your dog in or you have a garden that you could have a dog in. That's great. I feel That's like the goal. I solve all my problems. That's the goal. So competition-wise, what's next for you? Okay, uh, so the World Pro coming up in two and a half weeks. Uh, and then the Mundials. And then the Worlds, yeah. World Pro... Um, is a big one and again like I said because of the qualifiers they it's really pro um, you know a non-Brazilian um, athlete to win mm. the division it's not one that I've meddled at ever since my fifth time uh, yeah this will be my fifth time so I'm really looking forward to going to that one and just giving it my best but trying again not to put too much pressure on myself and just go and enjoy it I fight so much better like this Yeah. but then equally it's like oh well this could be your last competing year Sam you know that little voice in my head you could win loads of money and this could be your last year you could buy a house you could put a deposit on a house with the money well, <laughs> stop, how, how, stop how much was first place? Uh, no I think it's $6,000 this year but I'm also in the world ranking so I'm number three in the world how much is it at the world's? Worlds now is dependent on numbers. So I think it's like, I wouldn't like to completely hazard a guess. It's like massive, it it's like 40 grand or something. No, no, it's only for the... Isn't so there the, a UAE comp that has like a stupid price? So the UAE for the men, for the World Pro first place is 10,000. But you also oh. have the ranking. So the world ranking oh, how first much place is... for the men is two is 10,000. Okay. Actually, no, it's, it must be more because first place for women is 10,000. Second place is 5,000. Third place is... 3,000. So I'm okay. in third place at the moment. I need to medal really? at the World Pro to maintain my third place. Yeah. And then I get to go to the nice evening dinner and wear a nice dress. Is that what they do? Yeah. What? I do like an awards ceremony on the Saturday night. In uh, Abu Dhabi? Really? Mm. Yeah, it's nice. What a strange world. 
It is. But um, they fund loads of money into it. And you, there's also for the men the continental ranking. So like Adam Wozinski's who's number one in Europe yeah. will get 5,000 for being number one in Europe. Yeah. I'm number one in Europe for women but we don't do it for the women yet. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, one day. One day, exactly. One day. It's growing. Um, give me one uh, near-death experience. Oh my God. I have Best so one. many. How many? So many. Okay, give me So one. the bike. Wait, I'm going to give you a few. Okay. So the bike, oh. I lost the, the, the battle with the car. So I was going on my way to training in Cheltenham. My, I had a car at this point, but it was in Bristol for an MOT and my bike helmet was in the boot. I was a little bit late. So at this you point, were without a helmet? Without a helmet, yeah. I know. But it's, it was like quarter to seven at night. There was barely, it was five minutes down the road, Crime literally. I was just a bit late and I should have ran there rather than cycled. Jumped on my bike. Uh, I had, if I remember correctly, I had my like skins leggings on and then a pair of warrior, like I never wore shorts like this. I have no idea why I put it on. Some giant tatami hoodie and these white warrior shorts, like white and black. <laughs> Such a st- weird thing. Anyway, coming down out of my road, nothing, no cars on the road whatsoever. This woman starts to pull out of the leisure centre. So she stays. So I thought she must see me. There's no cars. Why she stopped? Literally, as I go in front of her, drive straight into me. Really? So up over the bonnet, onto the floor. Must have just gone straight head into the floor because it wasn't really scathed anywhere else. Yeah. Kind of like sort of walk up, crawl to the side. Had no vision in my left eye. I was really? like, neck, I can't. I was like, bloody hell, I can't see. And then, but then I was kind of aware something was. It wasn't in any pain, but something was going Pouring on. Me blood. And this man comes out of nowhere. And is like, oh my God, like you're bleeding, you're bleeding. Like opens my bag, takes my gi out. I was like, uh, don't use my gi to that clean up my blood. That is a sure yeah. <laughs> I think it was an Atama. <laughs> but I couldn't really see him. So then I kind of was like fumbling around. My right eye could see through. And I was like, don't use this. Like, you know, and so he whipped off his t-shirt. And I was like, I think this is a naked man. Like <laughs> now stood over me, dabbing my head. This woman got out of the car. She was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like I didn't see you. And I was like, oh, I'm lit up like a freaking Christmas tree. And you still didn't see me. Anyway, called the ambulance. Never forget the ambulance men because they were called Peter and Paul. Never had concussion before in my life. So didn't knock myself out or anything. But sat in the ambulance and they were like, um, have you got someone that we can call? And I was like, yeah, my mum. And then I looked at my phone and I was like, uh, I can't unlock my phone. And they're like, oh, you hit your head pretty hard. Do you remember your passcode? I was like, no. Yeah. And they got really upset because I've never been concussed yeah. before. And they were like, do you know your mum's number? I know my mum's number off by heart. She must have had it for at least 30 years, I think, probably. <laughs> Wait, maybe not since then. When did mobile phones come out? It was about 14, 15, maybe. Sure. Yeah. Uh, about 26 years. Uh, same number all along. And I was like, I can't. I can't remember this. So then got super, super upset. And anyway, managed to get into my phone and called her. I don't know how. And I was like, hi, mum. <laughs> I've had an accident. Uh, they're going to take me to the hospital. So they're like, do you want to go to Cheltenham where a nurse can stitch up your face? Or do you want to go to Gloucester where Maxfax can do it? And I was like, uh, please take me to Maxfax. Like, it's is my face. I would quite like a nice, neat scar. So they took me over there. I still had to cycle clips on my feet. So as I stepped out, the ambulance just collapsed on the floor where my knees just gave way. And they were just like, oh, sorry. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I just picked myself up and take myself in. They wouldn't let me see it. I was like, can I not just have a look at it? They're like, some, there's a big gaping hole in your head, basically. So did you never see it? They see it yeah, they up. took a picture of it. I've got pictures, actually. Can you show me after? Okay. Yeah, yeah sorry. <laughs> uh, I forget that we're here. Oh, no. Now we're videoing it. Okay, just keep talking, though. Sorry. No, sorry. You can get it out and show the camera, but keep talking at the same time. Uh, anyway, so I saw it and if, it was just if, a... If you want to get it out, you can. Uh, yeah, it's really easy to find. A big flap of skin, basically, on the top of my head. So I was like, oh, okay, great. I'm going to have a Harry Potter scar. 
Uh, that was one near-death experience. When I was younger, I swallowed a two-pence piece in the buggy, and my mum had to... My aunt gave me a two-pence piece. My aunt doesn't have kids. And uh, she, naturally, I ate it. Uh, chocolate button. Uh, my mum had to whip me up. I literally went blue in the face. Oh, you she, choked on it? Yeah, choked on it. She had to turn the buggy upside down because they couldn't get me out quick enough to try and get the two-pence out. Um, oh, this is after it had been stitched up. So I had all the muscle stitched and the skin stitched. That does not look like you. On top. No, I I just come back from Thailand as well, so I was quite yellow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I was also quite chubby. Should we show that? Yeah, go for it. Might want to make it a bit brighter. I can't I can't tell whether that <laughs> But yeah, I literally that was a depressive time. Um but yeah, that was after they after nice. uh, they'd stitched me up. I didn't have the gaping hole one. That was when it started to get better. Yeah. Obviously. And then I just had a Harry Potter scar when I went back to work. And I was working between Cheltenham and Gloucester at the time. And they were like, oh, she could come into work. And I and <laughs> Yestin, uh, one of the physios that was there at the time, was like, have you seen her face? She's literally going to scare patients. Like, it's not really a good idea. Anyway, uh, so the two pence piece, what would be another one? Um, had a quite a traumatic experience when I was 12. <laughs> I don't know why I should that's why I'm talking about oversharer um, so I was staying at my aunt's house because she used to have horses Okay. Uh, so I used to stay with her before I had my own horses so go and stay there pretty much every Friday and Saturday night usually end up she used to have a sweet dish and I would binge on the sweets like every Friday and then throw up Friday night it was ridiculous <laughs> and I look back on it now I was like why didn't I just stop she was like you had no like self control so we'd eat and then was like throwing up in the toilet one night at the age of 12 years old. And then we had like some kind of knock on the door. So she lived in a, a caravan type site, like okay. a mobile home randomly um, in Bristol somewhere. Not in a field or anything, on like a site. Uh, so there was like a knock on the door and then I heard like some kerfuffle and I was literally like one of those toilets where the, the toilet was like next to the door. So I just like opened the door and heard like shouting and stuff going on. I was like, what's going on? It's not really a near-death experience. I mean, maybe it is kind of. Anyway. Um, so I kind of like came out and then there was all this commotion and these, it was an armed robbery. So basically oh, no three way. guys had broken, like smashed the door through, come in with like these handguns and were threatening my uncle and stuff. And I don't think they, it was obviously planned. He was a car dealer. So we'd always okay. usually have like quite a lot of cash. And he was also, um, in a, like a gypsy family. So, sure. um, so my aunt at the time had been diagnosed with breast cancer so she wasn't going to have treatment or anything either like which is nuts right yeah no she yeah. did she's all clear she's fine um so she was very relaxed about this whole situation i don't know so anyway i came out they obviously didn't expect me to be there so i at this point had this like vodafone gsm phone and i was like oh my god they're taking all the phones i need to hide my phone so i kind of like kept it hidden because i was like how are we going to call they didn't have a landline i was yeah. like we're not gonna be able to call the police so one of the guys, so there, there were, um, they had like full on balaclavas. I remember it like yesterday. It's quite crazy. And, uh, yeah. So he was like, come with me. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this is going to go from bad to worse. So he basically took me to the bedroom and said, stay here. Because I think they just didn't want me, in they didn't expect me to be there. Yeah. So didn't want me involved. So then I hid my phone in the drawer. I was like, 12 years old. I think that's pretty smart. And then they, he came back and I was like, oh no. He's like, no, no, follow me. And I was like, he's going to hold the guns at my head and threaten my uncle. Because they were like, hit my uncle over the head with these handguns. He oh, was on his Jesus knees in the middle Christ. of the front room. So You're the front, watching all of this? Huh? 
You're watching all this. Yeah, yeah. I was there, for, like obviously in the the bedroom, and then they brought me forward. So he's on. They've got zip ties, and I'm like, oh my god, we're in for a long night. It's not like obviously I don't think that at the time. I was 12. I was just mortified. But when I look back on it, so he was in the front room. My aunt and I were stood in the hallway. She was really like, un, like so surprisingly calm. But I think it's because she thought she was dying. So she's she like, was just, I have made my peace. With she was death. just like, there, there are no threats you can make. To yeah, me. exactly. Like nothing really matters right now. I mean, it kind of does. Hello. Of course, yeah. <laughs> so. We're stood next to each other and the door's there, the key's on the floor and they're in the front room but looking at us like, you stay there, what's going on? Like They were like, tell us where, I don't know, some I don't know, some rubbish. I can't even remember what was said. And she just looked at me and was like, run. And I was like, oh, but, like I didn't even hesitate. But at the time, you're kind of like, what if, the, what if they locked the door? Like, I don't even know if the door's locked. So I just ran out the door. She said, run, I went. So I opened the door, ran out because they all chased me. So I ran across the field. There's a house opposite with like a field... Um, like quite long grass. I had no idea where I was going or if there was any barbed wire there. There was barbed wire there. <laughs> Ran straight into this barbed wire. I got completely tangled up, but they all chased after me. And I was literally like, don't shoot me. I'm 12 years old. Don't shoot me. And I was, I was like, it's game over. Like, what is what you're saying to them? Literally, yeah, yeah. I was just screaming at them. Um, because what can you do? I don't know. And I couldn't go anywhere. I was just tangled in this barbed wire. So, but because they all followed me, surprised by it, my uncle then ran out, ran down the road. And then they obviously followed me, panicked, got in the car and drove off. Wow. I was like, <laughs> madness, right? 12 yeah. years old. So, and then obviously, yeah, came back in the house and the police came around and obviously like they took print stuff. But yeah, they said like, you guys were in for a long night. There's all these zip ties all over the floor. Um, I don't know if they ever caught up with them or whatever, but yeah, pretty traumatized by that. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I think it's probably linked to, I have, I have a lot of nightmares and night terrors. But So even though it's not an issue for me to talk about. Do you know about, what? Something we haven't spoken about. Sleep. Sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Crazy sleep. I feel like it's probably linked. It's the, it's the one of the like probably the most traumatic experience I'll ever go through. Like or have hopefully, been through, hopefully, or have been through. And now the whole world knows about it, <laughs> or at least the jiu-jitsu community. How many followers do you have? Oh, many, many good looking. One of my great, one of my excellent near death experiences. Um, there were a few more other ones anyway. But yeah, so but I can talk it's not something I've ever held on to. I'm very, yeah. I've always been a real talker. So any of my problems or issues, I'm, I don't tend to keep them inside. I'm very like vocal about them, people who are closest to me and now everybody else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was during that, a really rough time where my aunt had breast cancer. This had just happened. I had to go back to school and then, um, I remember being in RS or something like religious studies where they were talking about some kind of shooting. I was like, I just need to leave. I just yeah. need to leave the room. Oh, really? Yeah. Bit, uh, PTSD. Um, Maybe. I don't know. I don't think it... I think because the type of person that I am and that I feel like I... Not like I dealt with it, but I can, again, talk quite freely about it. Yeah. I'm not sure it's really affected me that much, but I genuinely do think it's affected my sleep so much. My sleep really? has been, like, horrific. You always have uh, lots of nightmares. Night terrors, yeah. Proper terrors. Proper night terrors. Proper, like, heart racing, feeling like it's jumping out of my chest, run out of the room screaming. Really? Night terrors, yeah, yeah. So they've been a lot better recently um, since Brad moved to London, and I think because I feel safer. Yeah. But yeah, there are, and they're also sleep. So I have so many weird stories, like with sleep, um, where I'm awake. Do you sleepwalk I, or? Yeah, not so much sleepwalk. I found myself when I first moved to Channel in the hallway twice, flicked the light, and was like, oh, okay, back to bed. Then found myself there again, like maybe half an hour later. Wow. Uh, but that's probably as far as it's gone with sleepwalking. I remember when I was on an A-level biology project, uh, biology like week somewhere, we, somewhere down on the coast and we were measuring 
Ascophyllum nidosum, which was seaweed. Okay. <laughs> Offshore and onshore. Don't know why I remember that either. Um, and I was on the top bunk, which was a terrible, terrible choice, really. And then I was just patting down the wall, sharing the room with two other people and couldn't get out. I'm always trying to get away from something. And yeah. I think it's probably linked. So I'm always trying wow. to get out and trying to find the door. And I'm like banging on the wall like this. And people are like, Sam, what's your sleep? Whilst I'm, I'm awake. So I'm like a sleep awake. I'm like hallucinating. Sure. Um, and, and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, nothing. Like literally trying to climb off the edge of the... Uh, top bunk and then I start to come to a little bit when people start to speak to me and then go back to sleep with my um, ex-boyfriend the guy who originally got me into jiu-jitsu there are so many nights where I would just wake him up and be like there's a there's a woman in your bathroom so I'd get visitors people would always come and visit me stand at the edge of the bed and I got to the point where I was like oh okay I just I'm really tired I don't know what you want I'm not even going to be scared by you I'm just going to turn over and go to sleep and then they would kind of go away um, but would be awake and see them as well. But my nan also has this. So she she sees a lot of people and visits them. She like hits out at them and everything. But I tend I think I think you're not real because I'm awake and but I can still see you. So then I have to flick the light on and then I'm usually okay. Um but yeah, I would just get exhausted by it. So there was this one woman that would come and visit him. He used to have an ensuite bathroom. And I'd be like, oh, um, Matt, wake up. There's a woman in your bathroom. And he's like, what? And I was like, please, can, there's like a neurotic woman I, strolling around your bathroom and she really wants to talk to you. Can you go and talk to her a minute? Oh, oh my and God. he's like, this oh. would terrify me. Yeah, yeah exactly, right? If you were my girlfriend Wait, worse. and you were saying that, I'd be like, what? The, are so, you saying ghosts or some shit? Yeah. So, well, this is kind of what I thought it was. And then, so he would get got up and went to the bathroom, come back. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> sound asleep. I don't no idea what you're talking about. But I don't recognize people either. Like that's that's got much less now but so um again with my ex like one time i sat on the edge of the bed and I, like like a psycho was just like staring at him and i was like who is that and i was like what have i done who is that like i don't recognize them until and i'm staring at them and trying to find features that i recognize but i don't know who they are other worse ones um, a very interesting brain so i yeah so i so we should study that pint glasses <laughs> so work think i get sleep apnea so they're like, we think maybe you stop breathing because of my heart rate increase and like the night terrors and visions that I get. So, but I, so I was meant to go for a sleep study at the Royal I think Free. I'm genuinely going to lend you my ring at some point. <laughs> I think you should because it would be interesting. we like, no sleep, wandering around all night. <laughs> visited by multiple people. I just kind of got to the point where I accepted the fact that people will visit me at night and like, this happens to my nan, maybe, I don't know. But I'm, I don't know if I believe in ghosts, I don't know. But there's definitely, I definitely feel like some kind of presence. But it's usually when I'm asleep. So it's like, it's just not rational. My brain's just overthinking or something. Yeah. I don't know. So I've smashed pint glasses of water. So it, now I can't, like I keep a bottle by my bed because I always hit out at things or I just run out the room. So, or I sit bolt upright. So there are times where I, I've just like gotten up, run out the room straight away. And then my heart's like, and I'm like, fuck, what am I running from? Sorry. Yeah. Why, why should we You're swear? allowed to swear. Okay. I've sworn many times during okay. this podcast. You're allowed to. <laughs> And I like, I don't know, what am I running, what's going on? And my heart, it's beating so hard. I generally feel like I'm going to give myself a heart attack. So then I have to come back into the room and kind of calm myself down. And obviously it's so much worse if I'm on my own. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I can't rationalise, I don't know what's going on. Um, and then usually, like you said earlier, we were talking about sleep and stuff, you go straight back into the, the dream and the yeah, nightmare yeah, yeah. too. Um, yeah, sitting bolt upright. And again, usually like, um, like Brad's been there and he's experienced it and I'm like waking him up and chatting to him and he's like, what are you talking about? Like, so... Two nights ago, his breathing, so his kind of, he doesn't snore, but he's got to be like, a, was sending me a message. And it was to do with somebody's head, somebody who'd been like decapitated. And my blind, like quite a big blind, was me looking at this 
person telling me I have to look at this head. So his breathing was sending me some... The thing is, I remember all of them too. So I'm awake. I'm not even, like, I'm not asleep in it. I feel like I'm awake. And that, because I'm looking at it and I'm like, I can definitely, yeah, I can see your head there. And I'm trying to go sleep and something or whatever. And his breathing's like, no, you need to look at this head. And I was like, all right, okay. So then I'm looking and I'm like, well, I can't really see it. And then I usually start to come to and I come and wake up. But there are times where I'm like bolt upright in bed. And he's like, what are you doing? Like, you know, it's frightening. Like he sometimes is a deep sleeper. Sometimes it can be pretty light. And I'm sitting bottom and then he's like, it's okay, it's all right, everything's okay. And then I just go back to sleep or, but yeah, running out of the room is, is a specialty. It gets oh, so much worse with the strange. more training. Really? Crazy. But I used to go into work and they'd be like, you how is your sleep? You should definitely get a sleep study. Yeah. 100%. So staying anywhere new is the same. I get confused where I am in the night. I mean, that I think that can be quite normal. Yeah, Like relatively. staying not, you know, if you're a bit sleepy or unfamiliar, but it's the fact that I'm awake and I can still see things. Yeah, I, I get a lot, I get like a lot of nightmares. I thought it was normal to get nightmares like uh, every time you slept. Yeah. And then people were just like, I was like, oh, you know, talking about it, like, no, that's not normal. Um, but I just feel like they give me a more, I don't have what you have. Sometimes I wake up and I'm pretty panicked, but I usually work out that it was a dream pretty fast. Mm. But, um, I feel like it gives me, uh, uh, that I'm more prepared for life because yeah. they're usually very violent. I kill, like I'm either trying to fight for my life or killing people. So, um, so then when I'm in real life, I'm like, I actually feel like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, nothing Bad. can really phase me too, <laughs> nothing can phase me too much because I've been through like some horrific scenarios already in my dreams. But yeah. See, I feel not, exhausted. Not as, bad, <laughs> I not as bad as yours. You should, um, you should definitely get a sleep study. Yeah. Or get I'm a not, sleep tracker. Do you have like a Fitbit? Um, no. So I, one time I had to, when I injured my knee and I was hopping around on crutches, I was staying at my mum's house and I had, um, just the app, like that little orange one, sleep cycle or something yeah. else. And it used to do your recording. So it would trigger and record whenever you started talking or it heard a noise. Yeah. 19 recordings I had in one night. And there was yeah. me talking about, um, my, my aunt's dog that had died. And I was like, Hey Fudge, like, how are you? Like she'd visited me and I was talking to her, the dog. And then I was like, maybe you could talk to the, maybe, maybe the ghosts. Maybe. But then I was talking about my mum and I was like, well, if you don't feel well, you shouldn't be going to work. And it was literally as clear as day and where I was just chatting away. But mm. so, so I've always kind of slept, sleep talking. But for some reason, the more I train, the much worse it is. The, the, so I can fall into like a deep sleep really early, but then they just become so active. Like yeah. just, and then I'm um, in the morning, I'm just absolutely exhausted. But I feel like I've just not had a really good deep sleep. Yeah. But yeah, work were like, we think maybe you get sleep apnea. But I didn't want to be diagnosed with sleep apnea because then I'd have to wear like an NIV mask overnight because of basically becoming hypoxic, which is why I'm hallucinating. Yeah, but then you also might die if you stop breathing in your yeah, sleep. Yeah, but... Maybe get a sleep study. Yeah. Just consider it. It's the heart, my heart. And I'm like, calm down. Like, it's okay. That, may, that makes sense if you're running out of oxygen and you're... Exactly. My body's like, mm, what's going on? Yeah. We need some <clears throat> oxygen to the brain. Yeah, go get a sleep cycle. Lucid dreaming, though. That's I. So I can also control my dreams. So I'm also That's very aware. Very interesting. That if I'm in a dream and I'm like, well, I can fly, and I'll just fly. Really? Yeah. Can you bring that on, or is that just like, did you look? Did you train to do that? No, no, no. Because you can train to do that. Yeah, no. You can like teach yourself to lucid dream, mm. and they they say you have gotta realize that you're in a dream. Yeah. Do you know, like an in Inception. Yeah, they have. They all have like a little, totem. yeah, a totem where they know whether they're dreaming or not. And then if you you need to realize that you're dreaming for you to be able to control it. Mm. So they say one of them is looking at your hands because mm. apparently, ha like your brain, you know how it's really hard to draw hands. Yeah. So our brains struggle with like the complexity of hands. Right. So if you look at your hands in a dream, often they won't be very 
good. Okay. You know, they, they, so they'll be know. obviously not real hands. Yeah. Uh, so what you'd have to do, and I've tried to do it before. I've ne- I, like, I haven't put t- too much effort into it, but I'd love to be able to do it. Um, you just get some good rounds in. Yeah. Some ju- good, good jiu-jitsu rounds, you know, just like imagine that Bouchesh is there and you're having some rounds with them. But um, just like every day, just randomly look at your hands yeah. and just get into a habit of looking at your hands and, you and you've got to make it so habitual that you would do it in your dream no and then you look at your hands you go oh i'm dreaming now i control it see i know i just know and i'm yeah. like i'm aware of this situation like let's say maybe you're having an inappropriate dream and i'm like i can manipulate this how i want <laughs> absolutely and then i enjoy the dream so much more. or sometimes it's frustrating look at your hands next time you do it and tell okay. me what they look like Interesting, but then it scares me because I think, well, h- how do I know that this is a dream? And what if I'm about maybe to jump you're off in a dream building? right now? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> Which spin my little. Um, Sam, my last question. We've done two and a half hours. Really? Yeah. Wow. See, let's so, going. My last question is: Was it as bad as you thought it would be? Melting? No, not at all. Although I have told a lot of my life story, a lot of things that people don't know about me, but I'm also okay with that. But well, that's good. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for coming on my podcast, Sam. Thanks for having it me. took me many years to get you to come on, but I'm very glad that you finally agreed to do it. Was Even it what you expected? Uh, yeah, I, don't, I have no expectation when I'm talking to someone. So I was very... Uh, I, I, I would say that it was more than what I expected. Okay, that's good. Yeah. You're like, you're basically, you're more crazy than what I expected. <laughs> uh, There's more depth to you. Well, that's, that's what you want, though. <laughs> imagine, if we ju- imagine if you're just normal. Yeah. How boring that would be. Exactly. Mm. Brad's life would be so much easier. <laughs> Let's move to Oxford. No. <laughs> we don't know anyone there. We don't have any jobs. Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> Sam, thank you Poor very guy. much. And good luck. Uh, you're competing in two and a half weeks. Yes. So good luck. And I hope you win that tournament. Thanks very much. <laughs> a little sweating. that is it guys i hope you enjoyed that episode uh if you want to follow sam then uh check out her instagram which is samantha cook bjj i know that she uh would appreciate you giving her a follow so get on there and do that as always if you want to follow or if you want to contact me you can find me on instagram or twitter at raspberry underscore ape you can email me at podcast at raspberryape.com check out my website which is raspberryape.com where you can buy merch and things like that oh my youtube channel where this and many many other things including podcasts and non-podcast related things will be found which is youtube.com forward slash raspberry ape thank you very much for listening guys and i will catch you next time